BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Please don't take this person out. Would you politely go to hell? Get the fuck out of my way. What's up, player? Do 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 do. Call the cops. There's a plant singing. That's the name of the van, you freak. Oh, she like Mr. Bean. Mrs. Burrito. I find you so asexual. Use it. Use it. Don't me, Frankenstein. tape it's the fastest hour in podcasting this is never not funny now here's your host jimmy pardo hello everybody in yes welcome to the program episode 2713 of the award-winning podcast never not funny part of misfit toys a little comedy co-op going on with some great people jen kirkman mike schmidt the former third baseman Doug Benson, Todd Glass, good people, good shows, good meals. Uh, hopefully, everybody had a nice weekend. And uh, I guess by the time you hear this, it's uh, Wednesday night going on Thursday. Hopefully, everybody had a nice weekend and a nice uh, beginning, uh, beginning of this week. Uh, right? A little stutter step uh, into the week, right? What's going on? Should we be locking down? Should we be going out and having parades? Where are we at right now? <laughs> right? Is Macy's going to have that parade? They certainly are not. I think they called that back in July that they weren't going to do that. But. I can still see some assholes lining the streets, wow. hoping, looking up at the sky, hoping to see some Snoopy floating by. You know what that means? This is Gimbel's chance. You think Gimbel's <laughs> gets a chance? Gets back in, huh? Finally, back in the game. Um, what? Uh, who? Who would do it? Is there? I get Walmart. I guess Walmart's been doing the right thing lately, right? They're not uh, trying to uh, be evil. <laughs> Uh, so, but, so who is not following a quarantine procedures? That I guess that's what I'm getting at. Who? Well, Amazon with this whole time has been pretty shitty with their employees. So maybe they'd be the ones who'd uh, just go, "Fuck it, we have a zillion trillion dollars. We're gonna do a, we're gonna make a, a float the size of the moon and just <laughs> send it across the country." Is that confirmed that they have not been good to their employees? Has that well, been changed? Or, or, fixed? I don't know if it's been fixed. I just remember early on in the lockdown, there was just a lot of, I mean, the, the, we all had to, you know, they had a, a crazy crush of business because everybody suddenly was ordering stuff and they couldn't go to stores. And so I think their workforce was put under a tremendous amount of stress. And mm. I don't know that they were uh, treated very fairly or, or, um, well, they were already like you know running around timed bathroom breaks and all that right. kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, right, right, right. COVID, so, now listen, allegedly, you, know, you, you quit. You know, to, uh, listen. I, I'm, I'm sick of people whining. We, we, we're, we're living in a world of whiners. Hi, I'm Adam Carolla. Um, <laughs> snap your wine, ying dang! I can't, I can't even. I have, I have not heard Adam Carolla's voice in so long. I can't even do a bad impression of it. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, as, as a reminder, by the way, that uh, back in March, I did get the Corolla virus. And uh, <laughs> that's when somebody pushes you down and forces you to listen to this podcast nonstop. So that is something I got in March. And 
I'm recovering okay right now. I'm doing okay. Well, it sounds like getting a third wave. The fact that you have, can't do the impression means it seems like you're fully recovered. Maybe I think I am fully recovered. Yep. Uh, and I don't see myself dipping back in unless uh, I accidentally walk past somebody that just enjoyed a, a manorita, whatever the hell he calls his uh, man <laughs> mangria. Is that is it mangria? I think it's man- probably mangria. mangria. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a sangria I don't know. for a man. Is there like sweat in there? <laughs> yeah, because you're a man. And a yeah. man can't just, just drink a regular beverage. There's real ball sack sweat in every bite. Bite? <laughs> bite, a bite? bite of a beverage. It's, that's oh. the other problem with it. You have to bite into it. It's, uh, really, it's in really fairness, disgusting. Matt, you don't drink, so you don't understand alcohol. So I, you I might have thought really it comes like a popsicle. You don't know. I thought, yeah, I thought it was like a biscuit that you've munched on. Uh, like a An cookie. I uh, I can my my Adam Carolla impression for years now has just consisted, and this is something that Ryan and I used to do all the time. Uh, remember back when there was that um, patent troll that was trying to like yes. shake down mm-hmm. podcasting, uh, and and we had this meeting. Uh, I don't think you were at that meeting, Jimmy. I think I was there. Uh, I was not there representing it, us both. <laughs> it was at his house, correct? It was at his house. Yeah. Um, and uh, for those who don't know his house, he built his own um, little like it's like a bar, but it's underground. And one wall is a window looking into his pool. So like and he built that himself, which is insane. Right. Uh, and I, I think I've mentioned this before, too, because it's it's just mind blowing. It's very cool. And there's a pool table in there. But you could literally if someone was swimming and they dove in, you could be sitting at a bar going, hey, there's a there's my son swimming. <laughs> it's so crazy. Like you like you literally see in rich people's houses right. like in it's, movies. It's like a like, James Bond thing. Yeah, it's, it's right. Crazy. Um, anyway, he he summoned a bunch of us uh, podcast people um, and he human just tank. <laughs> yes yes very much so um anyway Sorry. he just kept saying patent troll hey we gotta deal with these patent trolls and like just the way he's pronounced patent troll was funny to me and ryan and i constantly just anytime patent trolls come up we always just go patent troll <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> uh by the way remember uh, the, 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 you bringing that up it just reminds me that podcasting was so small at one point that we were the five shows representing <laughs> podcasting. You mean like, yeah. like if that patent troll came along now, we wouldn't be at any meeting. It would be handled by, right. That's you know, true. Audible, Sirius XM, all these people. It wouldn't be me. It wouldn't be you on an ottoman at Adam Carolla's house. Right. Yeah. I'm, okay, trying, to, pool. I'm trying to remember who else was yeah. there. I know Jesse Thorne was there. Um, maybe Scott or def- definitely Jeff Ulrich. This is back when Jeff Ulrich was still running Earwolf. Right. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was a it was a motley crew for sure. <laughs> and uh, we remember there was a little while there we were legit worried that like this guy was going to you know Put win and we would all have to go holy shit, you know, what remember there was talk of well what if everybody just gave him a dollar an episode or like there was a there was like yeah, these people wanted like, just plea go, bargains just get, going yeah, around like right, let's just get it let's let's just get it out of our hair which sometimes you do have to do unfortunately. Um Yeah. But luckily for everyone there was one use of the, or if anyone remembers from the '90s, the real player technology. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, real player, in addition to being more sort of a streaming system, the, the technology itself was actually downloading something to your computer, and that constituted uh, a prior use from before this patent. Uh, that was basically what this guy, this guy was trying to patent the technology of downloading audio files to your computer, which is well, not like a list of files in right. the background. Yeah. So anyway, real, real saved everybody's ass without realizing it. Um, 
Who owns Real Now? Is it even a thing? I don't still? even know if it, it still exists. Like I've n- I haven't seen it in years. Maybe someone just bought it and used the technology to build something else. Uh, I always liked their logo. I liked the Real Player logo. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Uh, looked nice on the desktop, right? You open it up. There's your Real Player. <laughs> you press it. They still exist. Yeah, no, use them. Do they know this? Do they know that they're not being used? <laughs> I don't. I don't know. Hold on. Let Real me go networks. to. Let me open my Netscape browser and see what I can yeah. find out about them. <laughs> hey, speaking of other things not being used, apparently uh, uh, Garen's Harry's razor is not getting a, uh, any workout recently. Yeah. You know what? I did actually just shave, shave a few days ago, but it kind of grows back pretty quickly. It looks nice on you, Garen. Oh, I thank you. I agree. It goes good with this jaw that really works for Zoom. I've talked about it a couple of times. It, uh, <laughs> you're <laughs> talked about it a couple of times. <laughs> you fucking weirdo. Garen, <laughs> do me a favor with that weird uh, uh, beard that you have. Take your glasses off so that could be really uncomfortable. Oh, God. Hold on. Okay. He doesn't even, again, he doesn't look like, he looks like he should be like in one of those boy band reunion shows. Like he, and yet also he kind of looks like Dante from Clerks. I don't know if that reference resonates with anybody. I do not remember Clerks enough to, Dante's the the lead guy. Yeah. The lead guy. The the dark haired dude. Yeah. You happy with that, Garen? It looks like you may not be happy with that. I'm not happy with that. He mm. might also have glasses, but I, I don't know if he did he take them off or put them on. I don't know. Something about you Not taking. Not supposed to be here today. I got to look up. <laughs> I, I now have to look up who you're talking about. Yeah. And uh, get Dante ready. Clerks. Get ready to uh, <laughs> tell me that I was being unfair. You know what? I don't know if you are. <laughs> you're looking. I at don't him. know if you are. I mean, there's some bad pictures of him where I uh, I would think you're being a dick. Yeah. But. The way he looks now, oh, I mean, you know, Garen doesn't look anything like him, but in, yeah. the, in like the hold on a second back in the day. I mean, and it's right in here. The publicity the photo of him. Yeah, I can see it. I mean, uh, wait, how do I? Open? And even you know what? Even this other picture of him in some sort of a bowling shirt looks like Garen. That's what I was about to say. Like, if you don't if you're telling me, I mean, Elliot, you can just drop this in for the video play later. But like, if you're telling me that doesn't look a little right. like Garen, it c- looks a little like Garen. Come I on agree now. with that. I. Uh, I mean, I'm not, I don't mean to insult him. I just don't think I look like him. Well, I mean, you've made that face before in a photo. Yeah. I don't think you're insulting him, Garen. I think you should take it as a compliment that Matt thinks you look like an independent movie star. Yeah. All right. I'll take that. That might be a Thank little you, strong. <laughs> well, he, I guess oh, he was no, the no, star of exactly one. You said. I look like a, a very famous independent film star. Someone who oh. pioneered the craft of acting in independent films. I'll take it. Well, we all, uh, we wish every cast member of Clerks the best of luck. I know that one guy has trouble talking. He's right in his name. The man doesn't speak. I mean, that Jay <laughs> says nothing. Wait, no, Bob. Wait, wait it's Jay and Silent oh, I thought Bob. You were kidding. Yeah, Silent Bob. Yeah, Bob. Well, you know what? Jay should shut his fucking mouth, too. How about that? I mean, that's that's a that's an opinion that's shared by many, I believe. <laughs> I think you're right. Is it, Now, is that the fellow that has the uh, hockey jerseys? Is that, uh, well, they, is that who Bob is? That's or is yeah. that Jay? That's, uh, that's Silent Bob. Bob. Yeah, that's Kevin Bob, Smith. Bob. Yeah. Wait, Bob, Jay and Silent Bob. Wait, wait, what's the name? So wait, Jay is Jay, who's quiet. Jay is Jason Mewes. Uh, Silent Bob is is Kevin Smith. He's yeah. got the trench coat, oh. but he also wears hockey jerseys a lot. I don't remember if right. Jay also wore a hockey jersey, but no, Jay. I got I, even in my own premise, I confused the two guys, even though I just yeah. acknowledged who the two were, and then immediately forgot who I what I said. Right. <laughs> um. Here's a fun piece of information. I'm going to leave out all names on this, by the way, Uh, uh, but it plays along with what we were just talking about. So uh, I booked a human being on this program 
uh, via a publicist. And uh, I remember saying, oh, you know what? I don't have anybody to book for blah, blah, date. And so I was like, oh, I'm going to take care of that today. So I'm at my computer and through a publicist, I book someone for that date. I then, I'm not kidding. I type it into our document, our Google Doc, where we have our, our NNF guest list. I type it in and then go, okay, that's taken care of. Now I got to book somebody for that date. And I literally texted somebody and said, are you available on this date? And then went and they said, yes, I am. And then I went to put that name in and went, hey, ass fuck, you just booked this date. <laughs> like it just, I was so. Oh my God. Moving, I was so moving forward in like, okay, here's my, here's my to-do list today mm-hmm. that it did not occur to me that I just crossed one of the things off. It was Jimmy. Was yes. it your TWO do list? Is that what the problem was? Yes, I am saying yes to that. Just so because sometimes if you disagree with somebody, <laughs> the conversation ends. Wow. So I say yes, period. Moving on. Uh, now, Elliot oh. is a little uh, under the weather from what we understand. Mm. You've uh, you sent Smidge. us. And again, Elliot, there are times where I believe we've talked about, hey, maybe that could just come up nice conversationally. Uh, maybe uh, <laughs> when we see you here today, you can go, hey, by the way, guys, I'm a little under the weather. Uh, so when we see an email from you, uh, that uh, feels heavier than it is. <laughs> well, it's only because it may impact uh, a, a live parking lot show that I might not be able to attend if it turns but out. We're a week, we're a week out. You're gonna I don't know fine. how much time you need to figure things out. I don't want you to be blindsided. You're, uh, uh, but again, knowing that we're going to record today, I think you could have you could have waited and said, hey, just a heads up here. And we could have had a nice conversation about it. Uh, instead of me looking at that email, getting irrationally angry at you and and hoping, hoping, honestly hoping that not only are you sick, that you would die. That, that's how I felt when I read that email. Like, well, here's a solution. We don't have to worry about him at all if he's dead. Can I can I float a new theory? I think you just hate reading, Jimmy. Like anytime I'm uh, beginning to think that because no, every- I enjoy reading. I like I read books. I read it seems like I've, I've sent you several novels and you don't seem to like any of them. Well, they're all written by you. So imagine how fucking long those chapters yeah, are. Yeah, and in an email format. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so if I printed it out and, and mailed it to you and it was bound, that would be better? Maybe. I wouldn't mind you sending me some uh, letters, some written uh, some written letters. I just it seems like you get angry when you have to read more than 5 words at a time. <laughs> No, that's, I'm going to that, support Matt's, uh, that's Matt's un, assertion. That's unfair. That's an unfair statement. I, I'm willing to be and make fun of myself and be self-deprecating, but that's an unfair statement, and I will not tolerate it. Well, it was it was built on the premise that you get mad at every single email from Elliot, so I was really trying to make fun of him via you. Uh, okay, I accept that, and I will <laughs> nice agree with Matt. that. That what? Yeah, nice, nice, <laughs> nice sidestep. And uh, let's go back to this, right? I mean. That, <laughs> That's, that one really looks like Garen. Yeah, that, that's Garen. I, I don't care what you you can tell me what you want. Like I say, if you look at the t- if you just look at the eyes and the eyebrows, that's the part that looks the most like him. And I'm telling if you, you, you look like a young Dante. Version like, of that. That, yeah, yeah. You don't look like current. Right. I don't know what he looks like now, but I, I guarantee you, you look better than him on tw- in 2020. <laughs> Uh, I agree with that based on what I've just saw on the internet. But if you were to if you were to show me that black and white photo that you just showed me and yeah. said, "Hey, did you see this picture of Garen in 1994?" Right. And you go, "Yeah, yeah. oh, is that him?" Yeah. You know, because I mean, we, we all look different than we did back in the uh, 90s, mm-hmm. right? Except that uh, the only problem maybe maybe Garen couldn't grow facial hair in 1994 yet, but I'm not sure about that. <laughs> but yeah, I get your point. point. You know, 1998, 99. When when did you start growing uh, facial hair, Garen? Uh. When do you start shaving? Uh, that's a better question. 2021? 2020? <laughs> uh, I don't know. He probably 96, 97, 16, 17 probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
I think it's best just to answer questions sometimes. Sometimes <laughs> <laughs> try to make a little joke about it. Yeah, you know what? It was just words, man. And we I, we just learned I don't like more than five in a row. So <laughs> ah, shit. if there's a way to avoid any of that, that would be helpful on my end. Uh, we're also starting our show today a little bit late uh, in the afternoon, and that's uh, that's weird. It's a weird uh, I, when your body is yeah. used to starting at a certain time on a Monday. I, I admit I don't like it, and this was because of me, and I apologize now. That is I, this soccer? If this is soccer-related, I swear to fucking God, man. It's 100% soccer-related. But here's the thing, Jimmy. The, the U.S. national team, they, they hadn't played since February 1st or something, and they finally got to get back together for a camp they played on thursday we were record the two ta- they're only playing two games thursday and monday both times when we're recording so thursday i said i'm gonna record it and then i'm gonna block out the world luckily nobody gives a shit about soccer so <laughs> very easy to avoid any spoilers and then uh, a couple of friends of mine and i who they also had conflicts we all watched it on delay together and uh and then but then for today i was like you know what because I did that, maybe Monday, and I said, like, if you guys can't switch it, that's fine. But I thought if you guys could switch it, I, I'd be, I'd enjoy watching the game today live. And I'm glad I did because they won six to two, and it was very exciting. And did you and your buddies uh, watch this all at the same time again, uh, socially distant <laughs> style? And and then when do you guys jerk off on the bread and eat it? When does that all happen? <laughs> so unfair, so unfair. Just a just a couple of uh, three middle aged men enjoying each other's jism uh, <laughs> on a piece of bread, enjoyment of soccer, and and yeah, and maybe, yeah, and maybe, maybe look, we're all in different places. It's just so that you can text. It's it's you know, Jimmy. Well, you watch baseball, but you watch it by yourself. Isn't it more fun to watch it with other people who also enjoy it? I will tell you this it, when. The when the Chicago Cubs were in the World Series, I was texting with our friends. Uh, I had several different uh, text chains going, one with Michael Glenn Schmidt, the former third baseman, mm-hmm. and one with uh, my mom, mm-hmm. and one with Anthony Rapp and Munish. Yeah. And it, it made it a thousand times more fun. Yeah. Like, I was basically here alone. Danielle was tolerating that it was on and me yelling and <laughs> screaming. And, yeah. uh, and then it went late into the night and so on and so forth. But it was fun to have that little... Yeah, you know, uh, exchange. It, it, it's it's interesting because it's. I guess it, I mean I, I never thought about it before, like watching games in person with, like if you're sitting in the same room as people watching it, that's fun. But there's something about like being able to watch and then text when you feel like it, and then and then read the texts when you feel like it, and you're not like you're not beholden to the time frame of the people around you talking in your ear or whatever. So it's it's kind of a nice. Uh, I don't know. It's just an interesting way of uh of of enjoying something communally without uh, but on your own terms a little bit i uh will agree with you uh on that topic but it also leads me to this topic because daniel and i were talking about this recently because somebody was live tweeting out about their situation comedy a cast member was doing that and I can't think of anything more distracting than that. It's like, I, I want to yeah. watch the show. I don't need to know, hey, a quick fun fact, uh, uh, Tony had a sandwich right before we did this take and, <laughs> and then finished his sandwich when we were done. Great. I, while that's somewhat interesting, might be somewhat fun and interesting, I, I, I'm then taken out of the show. Yeah. Right. That always drove me nuts with... Um, amc used to promote their like join the second screen experience i can't think by the way mad men breaking bad better call Saul. i can't think of shows that i would 
like there are no more like focus intensive shows in the world yeah. that, like, right. that, that you need to pay attention to and can't be like, what are you, what are you, what are you looking at something else for during these shows that someone, they worked their asses off to make it so rich with detail. And now you're going, Hey, what's Johnny think about it? <laughs> right. You know, and, and Danielle brought that up too, about the same thing. Like, uh, like, why are you telling me not to focus on your show? Why yeah, are you telling yeah. me, that your show's not worth watching unless I got you know a cast member telling me what uh, other stuff. It makes no sense. It's crazy. And why why don't they save that for reruns? Yeah, that where they can boost that, viewers. Right. On That's reruns. a great idea, Garen. That'd be smart. And also, they don't spoil the show that some people might not be able to watch because right. you know Brian Cranston is tweeting about how he blew somebody's head off. <laughs> That's. That's yeah. the other thing. Like, you're right. If, if you're on a plane or something and you're going, oh, I can't wait to get home to watch Breaking Bad. Oh, but I'm on a plane. I'm going to kill some time looking at Twitter. And then you're right. There's Brian Cranston. Uh, funny story. It took nine takes for me to whack this guy's head off with a machete. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess we got that taken care of. <laughs> Another one saying, stop live tweeting, you pricks. <laughs> I mean, I guess they do it because it works. Like with a sitcom, I, I don't agree with it, but I sort of get it because a sitcom, you can kind of listen. You can get 90% of it with your ears and still be looking down. I still, I still want to escape. The whole reason for me watching it know, is to escape for 22 minutes. Yeah, yeah. No, I yeah, definitely I mean, agree. If that's, if that's what you want the show to be, then, then it should just be part of the show. <laughs> I, you know how horrible like, would that be though it oh, would be but if, if the show was designed yes, like i agree so therefore you're not you're not trying to figure out what the poster means in the background or anything because somebody's yeah. gonna just tell you by the you way know, uh go ahead i'm sorry no sorry uh i was gonna say I, i'm already dealing with the fact that uh my children mostly charlie but zoe a little bit too still haven't learned like like elise and i will watch something and you know you know in a in a moment you know like i can i can say one little thing here without disrupting the show and it, it might be a funny little thing or just an observation and then the show keeps going and nobody misses anything my kids do not have not mastered the fine art of that so they'll just start talking and it's like we are missing the entire fucking scene because of this yep. like will you just wait until no one is talking on the screen and then quickly say what you're gonna say and then get right back out like it's such a a weird thing that i never i never thought about until we started like watching shows together it is we uh uh I, in fact i yelled at all yelled at oliver one night like Will you stop talking? And he's like, you and mom make comments. It's like, it's that. We make them in the little. <laughs> yeah. And then I, I was like, we make comments. You give a paragraph. Like it just, <laughs> yeah. And this is maybe a year or so ago, and it doesn't really happen all that much anymore. But uh, yeah. uh, it still maybe every now and then does. But uh, and it's and it's hard because when you have two, you know, sarcastic comedians watching something. Yeah. And I, I, I try my best not to talk during something. But then it's like. Uh, Oliver, stop talking. Really? You haven't shut up, Dad. Like, you know, he doesn't say that, of course, because he knows he'd get the fucking back of my hand if he did. But uh, it, uh, yeah, it's he's, he's has to be confused as to what he's allowed to do. But it is, it's, there are, because also Charlie will literally jump up, turn around, turn his back to the t television, and then start, like, doing a big production of something. I'm right? like, hey, man, this is so far beyond what we're doing. Like, we're, we're, we'll be, we'll be like, nice sneakers asshole and then that's it <laughs> like, and he'll be like the guy was the thing and then here's what's happening and it's like okay <laughs> oh boy and i, I mean oh. i love it I, I i relate to it I, i'm sure i was the exact same way when i was a kid but it's like man you know i think about and again uh, i'm i'm very and matt you are too we're very lucky that our kids are good kids 
and they're creative and they're interesting and so on and so forth. But there are times where Oliver is talking or he's on a jag or something. <laughs> and I'm just like, how did my parents not murder me? <laughs> like, I, I just, I can't imagine. Like, because there's times where it's like, He's a good kid, and he's kind of driving me nuts at the moment. Yeah, imagine. I was I was a good kid, but also uh, kind of annoying, and so I can't imagine like my dad going. Oh, he had to be in his head going, "Well, you shut your fucking mouth, <laughs> shut up, shut up." He had he had to be. He, there's no question. Yeah, a 37 year old man is not going to tolerate some teenager who won't shut his goddamn mouth. <laughs> but he never said anything. Well, he's a saint. <laughs> no. I mean, Satan, look, we, I, I've done it for almost 15 years, so I, I guess uh, he and I have something in common. Isn't that fun? <laughs> Listen, if I didn't stop talking, buddy, you'd have no fucking career. So you, that's fair. I, I'd Very watch fair. the way you're fucking talking today. A lot of swearing today. I apologize for the language. Uh, yeah, well, I feel like another. Maybe I don't know if it was the election, but I was editing a sh- an episode last week or something, and I was like, man. We are just all over the like you and me and I don't know about uh, Garen and Elliot, but we, you and I were definitely f bombing the hell out of this one. I was like, what is going on today? I will tell you this: that I was listening to another podcast recently where they uh, were swearing, and I it was like, it, it, it's distracting uh, for me. It was anyway, yeah. and uh, so I of course was uh, then you know it's time I'm going to do another way. We don't swear anymore, guys. And what what did I last six minutes on this show? <laughs> I didn't even say I didn't even uh, did the the precursor of nobody swears anymore. I was like in my own head. I was like you know what I'm not going to I'm going to try to not say fuck as much. And then here it comes, mm-hmm. ratatat style. Where's this light coming from? Uh, right in front of you, oh, no. right there. All right. Uh, again, we're doing this in the late afternoon on a fall day where the sun's already. Uh, dipping into the ocean a little bit. Anyway, big win so, for the U.S. Men's National Team. Oh, good for you, man! Congrats, Congrats to them. <laughs> it's an exciting time, you guys. If, if if you anyone out there, if you care at all about soccer and the United States, the, this is a this is the perfect time to get involved because we had a a very exciting, talented young group of guys. Well, let me. There are times where I have a doctor's appointment or something like that, and I ask, "Hey, can we start at a certain time, or can we be over at a certain time?" Uh, so I will never. If somebody says, "Hey, can we start late?" I will never bust any balls because at some point it's going to come uh, where the White Sox are going to be in a playoff, and I'm going to want to watch that game. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm going to say, uh, "Can we start a little bit earlier, a little bit later?" And uh, and now we know we're going to. <laughs> There's your answer. I never. We're have going. I do. I never have a problem with that. Never. <laughs> Um, the problem is these soccer games are on in Europe. So there it's like, it's eight o'clock there and it's noon here. So that's why it's all like it. Usually most sports take place on the weekends or at night. But, uh, if you're halfway around the world, it gets all messed up. Yeah. Their weekends are on different days. I know. (laughs) Come on, man. Elliot, I don't, I just said, we don't want to swear anymore. Don't fucking make me. (laughs) Um, speaking of times and, and trying to figure them out, believe it or not, I have, believe it or not, I actually have a segue on this. Um, so uh, this, t- people were twittering, tweeting out about an earthquake that happened last night. Mm-hmm. And uh, in, I want to say Loma Linda, maybe. Is that possible? And so I was like, I, that's weird. And then it's like, and then I, I went to the Quakes site and, you know, they use that UCT time where that uh, universal time. And then you got to figure out where you live based on that. <laughs> right. And so last night I was up at around 30 in the morning. I couldn't sleep. I was watching some Mary Tyler Moore and. And I said, holy shit, that's an earthquake. And then I was like, yeah, that wasn't an earthquake. It was like nothing. But it, it was like, it was enough to go, holy shit, that was an earthquake. Mm-hmm. And then sure enough, when I did the UCT time and figured it out, it's like, I felt that earthquake. 
but it felt it wow. didn't feel strong enough to like even mention but people yeah. were tweeting out about it it was very strange i didn't even hear about this where where is that where's what is it yoma linda is that up by racho cucamonga maybe <laughs> loma, <laughs> loma linda oh, loma linda uh, uh it looks like orange county uh, is it orange county east, it's not, east it's not in riverside maybe i'm just i'm looking at a map it's not giving me exact details it's one of the, I think it's like, I believe guys, it's 94 kilometers away from where I live. Okay. <laughs> oh. um, so you can do that math, just like the UCT time. You can figure that all out. Hey, how about you, uh, if you, if we're doing earthquakes here in the United States, how about we use, you know, uh, feet? How about that? That sounds good. Or, Nobody's on board? Or, or miles. <laughs> Nobody's just mad about, <laughs> how about miles? How about facts? <laughs> right. I mean, it's, it's 6,222 <laughs> feet. Now I got to figure that out in miles? You're yeah. right. Do what you want, but I'm going to go with Miles. Uh, uh, it's one of those that by the mean. time it reached us, it was like nothing. Yeah, it's it's 74 miles east in, in San Bernardino County. That's yeah, like, you're right. It's near Redlands. Yeah. San Berdu, huh? Mm-hmm. Uh, that was, uh, it was, it was one of those, like, in my head, like, I was playing a mind game with myself, like, that was an earthquake. Yeah, there, no way that was an earthquake. You know, it, uh, but I was, I uh, felt uh, uh, vindicated that it was. You know, with the argument I had with nobody, <laughs> except for Ted Baxter, he heard all about it. I'm a little worried Ooh. you were up that late, though. That's uh, you should uh, you should be getting your beauty sleep. Um, I don't disagree with that. I, I, you know what? I I, I I was up, and then I watched a documentary last night. I watched. Uh, oh, really? Yes, I did. That's interesting. It's too bad I just turned on my iPad <laughs> uh, <laughs> because I'm going to watch the one. Whatever you say, I'm going to start watching in the middle of the show. Uh, you you said you watched a documentary. You say. Yes, I did. Yes, that is something I said. I watched the Harry Chapin, when in doubt, do something documentary, a documentary about the uh, musician uh, Harry Chapin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's really great. It's a, re- a great documentary about, uh, uh, you know, like he, he literally dies an hour and there's a half hour left. And then they talk about all the great things that Harry accomplished when he was alive and post, uh, you know, uh, posthumously, mm-hmm. um, you know, he was a great humanitarian. He's the one that actually brought uh, a lot of awareness to the, uh, homeless and hungry, uh, hunger problem here and in Africa. He tried to do like a USA for Africa a decade before. Wow. And, uh, the politicians did not want to hear it except for Patrick Leahy, who is still a, uh, a Senator. Hmm. Wow. Uh, it's interesting. It's, uh, and then it's great to hear the story about the you know about the songs and all that. It was a, it was a good documentary. Harry Chapin. What was that on? Uh, you can get that streaming. I think you got to pay four ninety nine for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was looking forward to it. That one and there's a Bee Gees one coming out soon that I uh, will pay for as well if it's not available for free. Um, there's my something... rationale is that we are not going to the movies, so I can afford five dollars to watch a documentary. I agree. Yeah, we just we just rented Karate Kid last night. Uh, the mm. kids had never seen it. And uh, I was surprised that that was a movie that wasn't available on Netflix or something That's like that. Interesting. You know, because it's like they have Cobra Kai on Netflix now. Why wouldn't they just scoop up Karate Kid? Right. But anyway. Uh, that holds up too, doesn't it? I, I, I thought it was still good. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think, I literally don't think I had seen it since uh, I saw it in the theater in 1984 or whatever. Um, and it, it's a little slow, like by modern standards, it's a, it's two hours long and it's definitely right. a 90 minute movie. <laughs> Somehow it, <laughs> it just gets yeah. to two hours for like excessive montage sequences, I guess. But uh, yeah, the kids, well, I don't know about Zoe. I think she liked it. Charlie loved it. You know, it's, it's exactly targeted at 
you know, boys. <laughs> and uh, yeah, man, it's just fun. And it's inter- It's an interesting... I noticed that like there was one scene where after... Uh, by the way, the reason it's two hours is because the second act is literally... Uh, Daniel gets beat up 17 times in a row and every, yeah. he just keeps getting beat up and then going back home and then Pat Morita, you know, patches him back together. But one of those 17 times, there's a scene where it's all one take and it's like a five minute long scene of Pat Morita like giving uh, uh, Ralph Macchio some tea and, and like, pat, you know, patching up his his bruise and and I, it's just a, for a, like a weird teen Hollywood movie to have like this really long single take where two actors just get to do their thing uninterrupted was kind of amazing to me. And I, I, I kind of was like, maybe this is I don't I forget the guy's name who directed that movie. I don't know if he did that much else, but um, but I was kind of weirdly impressed by like the artistry yeah. of that. Uh, we uh, uh, Oliver and I quote that movie all the time. Uh, and here's the quote that we do. Uh you say something that I'll agree with, Matt, please. Okay. Uh, yeah, soccer is fun. I. <laughs> <laughs> that is, we do it all. I. Yeah. Because he says that 900 <laughs> times in the movie. I. Yeah. And we, uh, it, it's, it's something that continues in the house, and we, uh, we get a nice charge out of it. Yeah, that's fun. Uh, all right, listen. Uh, that's what, uh, so check out the Harry Chapin documentary if that's your bag. It was good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, Cobra Kai is in season two. And uh, so look for that. Uh, <laughs> uh, Tom Dreesen is uh, going to be joining us. Tom, of course, was on Podcastathon several years back. I forget what year he was part of it. And, hmm, um, I don't think I don't think he's maybe? up on the wall. 2011. It was an earlier one. It was Acme. It was Acme. It was Acme. Yeah. Acme with with the 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 deep hole of blackness background. <laughs> I don't know what that means. There it just no, means that we didn't have any walls no set, or anything. It was yeah. just like just black all the way to the. Oh, is that right? Yeah. I don't recall that, but I do remember Tom uh, talking about the uh, the Comedy Store strike, and hopefully he will uh, talk about it again here today for those that didn't have a chance to hear that, because uh, I read his book, and I will say it when he comes on. It was His book is fantastic, and uh, it deals with all of that stuff and so on and so forth. And uh, So it'll be good to have Tom on, Tom Dreesen joining us, the legendary Tom Dreesen. Uh, so we'll uh, deal with Tom. Yeah, we'll deal with this. We'll deal with Tom right after this. Matt Belknap, I want you to spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter. Zip, zip. And find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Go to this exclusive web address, web address <laughs> to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash Pardo. That is ZipRecruiter.com slash Pardo. ZipRecruiter is the way to go. Uh, look, you, you set your clocks forward. You, uh, you feel like there's more hours in the day. But if you're hiring, you don't have that kind of time. You got crunch time. ZipRecruiter fills those hours for you. No one wants to waste time with hiring. That doesn't sound fun. That's just like a, a, a chore that you have to get through. I've got need. other things to do. Right. Let me do my actual job instead of trying to find someone else to work if for If that me. jerk didn't quit, I wouldn't be doing right. this. I'd like to see Elliot hire someone as his like building managing manager assistant, assistant to the building manager. Somebody over at the familiar. Yeah, to deal with these broken chairs and all this. There's a, there's a wave of looting and rioting in that building. That, going on. <laughs> well, you know why, right? Yeah, the manager. Yeah, manager. Yeah, <laughs> that's why he needs an assistant uh, who would take it seriously. Yeah. Uh, visit ZipRecruiter.com/pardo to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com/pardo to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. I'm going to tell you guys something, dear listener. When I started podcasting, you guys remember back in the days when tumbleweeds were across the podcasting desert? Uh, an online store was the furthest thing from my mind. Now I'm selling 
But we got what we got a hat, shirts, we got a bunch of stuff. Mm-hmm. It's easy, all because we use Shopify. Yeah, we're setting up Shopify for the uh, the perks in this uh, this new year for our, our platinum subscribers. And uh, boy, I really enjoy their website. It's super easy to set a, uh, set up an account and uh, get going with them. So. Kudos to them for making it easy. Well, if Matt Belknap could do it, you can do it. Mm-hmm. That's what he just basically told us. And That's I, uh, I uh, just uh, recapped it. I've spoken before. Yeah. I've spoken before about Shopify. Now, Shopify uh, is uh, it's just terrific. You could be selling scented soaps, which we may, we're talking about getting into the scented soap business. I would love a soap bar with the Never Enough Any logo on it, Dude, honestly. Dude, why isn't that a thing? <laughs> um, or maybe you're offering outdoor outfits. Dude, why is that a thing? <laughs> well, if it's if it's warm out, the T-shirt could be an outdoor outfit. You know what? You're right about that. Uh, but maybe we get into the jacket business. We have had hats too. I We've had hats. That. That's true. Uh, look, you don't have to just sell your stuff anymore. With Shopify Collective, you can curate products to sell from the brands you love, giving customers more variety and business more sales. Uh, now, listen, Shopify is easy peasy, as Matt Belknap said. Uh, let me walk you through what I want you to do. You can sign up right now for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash pardo. That's all lowercase. Shopify.com slash pardo. Uh, you do that right now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. S-H-O-P-I-F-Y.com slash P-A-R-D-O. Shopify.com slash pardo. Shopify. Cha-ching. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the program, episode 2713. Uh, welcome in. I hope everybody had a nice break. You do what you do. It's your business what you do during the break. I don't care what you do. You want uh, you want to have a sandwich? You want to go to the bathroom? That's your business what you do during the break. Uh, what we did is we welcomed our guest in. We dealt with some technical stuff and we commented on how gorgeous this man's hair is. Now, if you're only listening to this podcast, you are missing out on what I will. I'm going to say it. The most beautiful head of hair I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> Look at that salt and pepper bullshit that he's got going on. No. It looks great. My God, Tom Dreesen is here. Uh, hello, Tom. Hi, Jimmy. By the way, it's not salt and pepper. It's all gray, but it might look that way with this lighting, but it, it's all gray. Oh, it does look like you've got a little pepper in there, but yeah. uh, I'll take your word for it that it's all gray. Well, either, either way, you got a Charlie Rich looking head of hair. It looks gorgeous. And uh, Tom, is a, uh, he's got a great new book out that I just finished yesterday called Still Standing. And then it, there's a subtitle to it that uh, I believe goes on for about 16 minutes. <laughs> um, but the book is wonderful. Tom, of course, joined us at Park Castathon, as I mentioned, back in 2010. Uh, Tom also grew up uh, maybe six miles from me. I grew up in Oak Forest, Tom. And uh, yeah. you're, of course, from Harvey. Uh-huh. And... Uh, I'm sorry. You said uh huh. Like you like the idea that I'm from Oak Forest pissed you off. Are you gonna be all right? <laughs> oh no! I used to beat up a lot of guys from Mark, Mark Oak Forest, and I was just wondering if you were one of them. No, <laughs> yeah, I, used to, I used to go to a, a restaurant there called the Crossroads. It was a great restaurant in Oak Forest. In Oak Forest, I, yeah. I don't remember there being any good restaurants in Oak yeah, Forest. Oh yeah, it was right on Cicero Avenue, I believe, uh, not far from the Oak Forest uh, Hospital there. Uh, the hospital worked uh, that uh, this is how they got away from it. You guys, Matt and Elliot and Garen and the listener. Yeah. And Tom, maybe you you probably know this. That Oak Forest Hospital was basically a mental institution. Yes. And that was how Oak Forest got around having minorities in the census. They would have they would house minorities in there that were mentally ill. And so when you would see the census, they would go, well, it's not just they, 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 it's diverse. They don't have to bring diverse people. It's fine. When in reality, there was nothing but white people. Hmm. And it was, it's, you know, my high school was nicknamed Honky High. It was ridiculous <laughs> that, you know, Tom grew up in the opposite. He grew up like where I live in Baldwin Hills now, where it was a, a nice mix. Right, Tom? 
Yeah, it was. I was the. Uh, I told you I was the only white kid on an all-black basketball team. They nicknamed me Spot. <laughs> <laughs> no, th- there was fourteen black guys in me. I didn't get in one game for three years. They finally put me in one afternoon, and no one would pass me the ball. They claimed they couldn't see me in the daytime. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> That's from my album that I did in front of an all-black audience called "That White Boy Is Crazy." And by the way, Richard Pryor, who was a friend of mine, he wanted me to call it "That Honky's Crazy." And I told him I, I would do that, but no black kid in my neighborhood no ever called me a honky. I, they never called me. They always called me white boy. Mm-hmm. They would, in, in, in affection, they, they would say, you know, hey, I, I scored two touchdowns that game. White boy was a white boy. Come here. Tell him what I did. You know, uh, it, but I was 13 years old when I found out my name wasn't white boy. You know? <laughs> that late in the game, you found out. <laughs> yeah. But I did so many routines on The Tonight Show and different shows about growing up in an all black neighborhood. And, and playing, I played football on my black football team. I was a running back and all that stuff. But white people used to come up to me and say, do black people laugh at your material? Do black people laugh at your material? And I got so tired of hearing that, that I went and did an album in front of an all black audience. And whenever they'd ask me that question, I'd say, I'd pull out a CD and say, give me twelve ninety nine, and you can go home and find out for yourself. <laughs> yeah. But I'll end this because we have comics anyway. I, my question, whenever that was asked of me, I always say the same thing. What color is laughter? Uh, I say it's the rainbow, Tom. <laughs> what what I would say, I, I worked all Jewish audiences in, 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 the, in the North and the South. I worked all Italian audiences. I, I, what color is laughter? You know, it has nothing to do with ethnicity. It has to do with, are you funny? Or can that, you make that said the South, though, right? They're dumb people. Let's acknowledge that. <laughs> right? Let's, let's not give them a free pass because you're doing your, 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 your soapbox talk here. They're dumb folks down South. Yeah, Go ahead, some, Tom, your thoughts? <laughs> yeah, some some of the race, most racist people I met in my life were up north. I Again, yeah. I grew up, uh, it was called Honky High. You don't think I was uh, around racist people? <laughs> yeah, I get uh, it. Uh, and well, again, you, gotta, you, you remember Tim Reed and I were America's first black and white comedy team. You were uh, the only black and white comedy team. Is that safe uh, to say? It. We were first and history shows we were the last. And we toured the <laughs> north and the south for years, six years before there were comedy clubs. There were no comedy clubs in those days. So we worked all black clubs in the North and the South, what they affectionately called the Chitlin circuit, black owned, black operated nightclubs. We worked all white nightclubs too. Uh, but uh, you know, it, it's interesting. In those days, racism in those days, if there was a black guy who hated white people, hated them with a passion, he wasn't mad at me. He was mad at Tim for being with me. Mm. If, if there was a white guy, a redneck who hated black people with a passion, he wasn't mad at Tim, he was mad at me for being with Tim. Yeah. Wow. So it was an interesting reverse thing there. Would you, you know, and I know you deal with this in the book as well, but uh, would you ever do a show, Tom, in an all black one or in in Tim's case, in an all white club where uh, you'd get chased out to your car or anything afterwards where maybe you rubbed uh, somebody the wrong way and, and there was a fight? A couple times, once our fourth time ever on stage in Chicago Heights, Illinois, a guy put a lit cigarette out in Tim's face after the show. He walked by the table and took the drag off a cigarette and smashed it in Tim's face. And I, I, I got up and I, I boxed when I was in the Navy. I'm not saying I'm a tough guy, but I, I had a lot of fights in my life growing up in Harvey. And I threw a punch at the guy. He deked me and I went over his shoulder and he pulled me across the table and squeezed me. He was a big football player. We found out later on was on the taxi squad for the Bears. But he crushed my, tried to crush my ribs and he threw my legs up in here and broke the table with my legs. It was a Donnybrook like you've never seen before. I mean, two of the bartenders jumped over my, my buddies and they tried to help. Uh, but it, it became a real brawl. And uh, after the Donnybrook, after it was uh, it lasted for I don't know how long, I went outside. But anyhow, Tim and I were in a car on our way home. It was the fourth time ever on stage. Uh, Tim looked at me and he said, 
welcome to show business. <laughs> but one time at the University of Illinois, a guy went outside and made a snowball, packed a snowball and hit me right in the face with it, threw it while we were on stage. Now, this is rare. 95% of the people that saw us like this, you know, like what we were doing. But there was always that one element. And we first went into show business, a, a, a guy from a singing group called the Dells was the only, my only association with show business in those days was this singing group from Harvey that had nine gold records. And, uh, and uh, I, we went to visit the, the lead singer and he said, oh, you guys, that's a great idea. Black, white comedy team, blah, blah, blah. He said, I wish you all the best. As we were walking out of this house, he said, you know, they're going to try to break you up. And we said, we turned around and said, who? He said, they. He said, there's a game people play called divide and conquer where they just can't stand seeing two people get along together, mm. you know, and, and they will try to, they'll come to you, Tom, and they'll say, you don't need that black guy. They'll come to you, Tim, and say, you don't need that white guy. It's just, some people just don't want to see it, it get along, you know, and yeah. we, we, expl- America wasn't ready for us from 1969 to 1975, but <clears throat> we were ready for them. And, uh, uh, but in fairness, Tom, uh, they were, he was right because you're not together as a team anymore. So, they, so one of you got taken aside and believed it. <laughs> yeah. Tim Reed, Tim, uh, my, my partner, who, who were the best of friends to this day, you know, my, my company partner, but it, it, uh, it was a woman who, who divided the act. She pulled Tim aside and said, you can do better than that. I'll take you out to the West coast and I'll put you up in a home in Bel Air and, and you can drive my Mercedes around. And, <laughs> and, and but he admits it to the same. It, we wrote a book called Tim and Tom, an American comedy in black and white. And that book now, I mean, from that book, uh, there's a lot of consideration of us, uh, uh, not of us, but they want to do a mini series of our life. What it was like, from 1969 to 1975, turning the nation as the first black-white comedy team. But it's not going to be like a lot of other shows that you've seen. It's going to be the fun we had. We had a great time. Yeah, you yeah. really did. You know, we had, we had, and, and we're the best of friends of this day. I mean, his children call me Uncle Tom. Yeah. <laughs> Is that good? <laughs> I'll, tell you, I'll tell you what. We went to Norfolk State College when we had a book tour, and that's where Tim graduated. It's a historical black college. And uh, I was at a buffet. We were going to speak to the students, but I was at a buffet with six black college professors and we were getting our lunch and Tori, Tim's daughter, hadn't seen me in a year and she walked in the room. She must have been 20 yards away and she started hollering across the room, Uncle Tom, Uncle Tom, Uncle Tom. She's waving. These six college professors turned around and gave her a look and I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. she's talking to me. <laughs> Love it. Well, the book is called Still Standing and uh, it, 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 we'll talk more about it, of course, but it, it, it is... If you have a love of the of history of stand-up comedy, uh, it, 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 Tom's journey is just unbelievable in that, you know, it, it, being a kid growing up in, in Harvey, getting his ass kicked on a regular basis, going into the service, getting his ass kicked on a regular basis there, and then eventually uh, meeting uh, Tim and, and, and starting comedy, and then Tim bailed on him, and then Tom had to figure out how to do stand-up on his own. Um, and then uh, Sinatra, uh, there's a way, I, I, Tom, I might be wrong, there's 59 chapters about Frank Sinatra. <laughs> No, you're wrong. It's the end of the book. You know, it's really a basic, basically a journey of, a, of, I, of an eight-year-old kid trudging through the snow with his shoeshine box, going to all the taverns in his neighborhood. There were eight in my neighborhood. And shining shoes in all the taverns, trying to get money to help feed my brothers and sisters. I had eight, there were eight of us in a family. We lived in a shack and, uh, and uh, holes in my shoes, all that stuff. But uh, that's the kid in those bars. Here's Frank Sinatra on the jukebox and all those bars in those days. And then the end of that book is that same kid is carrying Frank Sinatra's coffin out of a church in yeah. Beverly Hills, California. So I take you on that journey. 
you know, um, uh, um, to, to the service, to Tim and Tom years, to my, you know, being married to three kids, uh, the struggles that every comedian goes through, the hardships, the rejections, you know, and like you say, knocked down, physically knocked down in my lifetime and, and, and also mentally, uh, the hardships we go through. My wife left me three times. She hated show business. She wanted me out of it. When she married me, I wasn't in show business. I had a wife and three kids. The first time I ever went on stage and, and she thought it was such a precarious business. She was right, you know. And, and uh, I kept getting her back. All the things comics go through, the, the, the highs, the lows, the rejections, you're in, you're not, you're hot, you're not. And finally getting to the Tonight Show, which in those days changed your whole life. Right. One, in 1975, wherever you went in America, people say, what do you do for a living? You say, I'm a stand-up comedian. The next question out of their mouth, oh yeah, you ever been on Johnny Carson? And if you hadn't been on the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, then in the eyes of America, you just want a comedian. You might want to be one, but you, you, you might going to be one, but you want one now. So 26 million people watch that show every night. One appearance on that show, your life changed. Yeah. Freddie Prince did one appearance. You got a sitcom the next day. I did one appearance. I was in the unemployment line with a wife and three kids. And I, I, I did one appearance the next day, a guy named Lee Curlin from CBS signed me to a development deal. I never stopped working from that first appearance on The Tonight Show. I did 61 appearances on The Tonight Show, but wow. I never stopped working. It, it, it opened up a whole new world to me, you know. So that's in the book. All those struggles and the ups and downs and all that. But finally leading to touring with Sammy Davis Jr., touring with Smokey Robinson, touring with Gladys Knight, Natalie Cole, and eventually how I start touring with Frank Sinatra. And, and uh, you were, uh, it, to your point, by the way, Tom, I talk about it all the time. I did not do The Tonight Show until... Uh, 2002 when Jay was hosting and those days of it changing your life were over um, you know it was still a nice thing to do you know growing up we all wanted to do the Tonight Show obviously I would have loved to have done it with Johnny but um, you know it, it ends to your point it would end any conversation like if you're on a plane and somebody's like what are you doing you make the mistake of saying I'm a comedian and you would go oh you ever do the Tonight Show you say no they're done talking to you. They don't take you seriously. But if you go, oh, yeah, I've been on Tonight Show. Oh, like it's a whole different story, even though it wasn't life changing career wise. It at least gave, uh, gives legitimacy, legitimacy uh, to my cousin giving a shit about what I do for a living. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I know. Um, uh, you know the, 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 I used to argue with Jay all the time and David about putting more comedians on the show. How did they get their they, their career launched off of Johnny Carson? Not Jay. I have to say Jay did his first appearance on the Tonight Show and Johnny really didn't like him. Oh. It was kind of an interesting thing. And uh, and uh, so Jay came in the back door on that issue. What, what happened was Dave Letterman, of course, and Jay were great friends. And Dave kept putting Jay on all the time. Right. And eventually Jay got hot. And then, of course, and Johnny started putting him on, you know. Uh, but uh, my argument with them was is they didn't use enough stand-up comics on there. You know, uh, you, that, that, that's we need a place. There, there was a pathway to stardom. When I started out, every we all migrated to the West Coast because Johnny Carson moved from New York City in 1972 to out to the West Coast. So we all migrated out here. At that time, the only game in town was a comedy store. The improv wasn't there. The Laugh Factory wasn't there. So you first had to get on at the comedy store to get seen by The Tonight Show. Passing Mitchie Shore's audition was far more pressure than passing than get, doing that first Tonight Show almost, uh -huh. you know. Uh, you know, when you're behind that curtain on that first tonight show, it's hard to describe it. As you know, you're going to walk out in front of 26 million people. And not only that, uh, you, you, every agent, every booking agent, talent coordinators, Vegas bookers all watch that show. 
And not only that, my mother had everybody back in Harvey Illinois watching the show. So if I bomb, I can't even go back home. <laughs> right, you're done. I'd have to go to that mental institution in Oak Forest that you talked about. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but I mean, but Mitzi, for you to get on the comedy show, you had to do it like five minutes in front of her. And if you guys watched that Comedy Star series where she would X your name out, that's the way it was. She might X your name out before you got your first line out. You know, Louis C.K. tells that story that he finally got a chance to audition for Mitchie. By that time, he was doing comedy specials. He right. was really established nationwide, but he wanted to work at the Comedy Store because that was the home of all the guys that preceded him. And so he went there and, and, and uh, agreed to do an audition in front of Mitchie. And he walked up on stage and he said the light went on the moment he hit the stage. And he thought it was a mistake. You know, he tells David Letterman, it's on the Letterman show, you can watch it sometimes and download it, but he thought it couldn't, must be a mistake. I haven't done my first line, but she took one look at him and she said, I don't like him, get him off. <laughs> but so he started doing this routine and she started flashing the light. <laughs> and now he said to himself, I'm not getting off. Right. I mean, you know, the audience liked him and she stood up and she started going like this. Get off. And that didn't work. So she grabbed the candlelight and she held the candle over her head. <laughs> but that's what my point is. If, 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 if Mitzi in those days, it was the only game in town. If she said, I don't like Jimmy, it's back to Forest Pal. Yeah. It's back to Harvey. I, I, you know, it was the only game in town. And well, luckily she passed you. It all went well. And then, uh, uh, but you went through it. I, I'm kind of jumping around here, your story a little bit, uh, uh, your timeline, not your story. Um, you then, it was years that you stopped working the comedy store after the the strike, if I'm not mistaken, correct? Yeah, yeah, because I gave my word for the for the uh, people listening who don't know. Uh, I, I, by that time, the strike, before the strike, I was on my way. I had done the Tonight Show, I was doing Dinosaur, Merv Griffin, Mike Douglas, Johnny Carson, Midnight Special, Rock Concert, Soul Train, American Bands, and I was doing all these shows, touring with all these different artists, and I was on the road with Sammy Davis Jr., and every time I'd come off the road, I'd go to the comedy store to try out new material, because I needed to keep coming up with new material. And um, they always put us in the original room, that Mitchie had uh, got that one that comedy club and the divorce. And they put us in what they call the original room, 105 sheets. In the meantime, she bought the other section of the building from a guy named Art LeBeau that he used to put 50 shows in his showroom. She stuck letting Rodney Dangerfield work that room, Jackie Mason work that room, and they took the door. She would sell the liquor and take that, and they took the door, $25 at the door. Whatever it was, they got the door, right? So when I come off the road one time, I, I went to the comedy store, you know, I, I signed in for times. I go to work in the original room. They said, no, you're in the main room. I said, the main room? I went in there. I was on stage with these other unknown comedians, Robin Williams, Jay Leno, David Letterman, Elaine Boozler, Gallagher, you know, uh, Michael Keaton. You know, anyhow, uh, the place is packed. When I yeah. went on stage, I'm thinking, wow, I'm, I feel like I'm back in Las Vegas. You know, Afterward, we all go to Cantor's where all the comedians hung out and they start bitching. You know, Jay Leno came in, hey, you know, she pays those guys at the door. Maybe it took five of us to fill the room, but we we still filled the room. And so they start having, let's have a meeting. They had a big meeting. I went to the meeting. It was like madness. A hundred comedians talking at the same time. Right. And I, the only thing they agreed on was have another meeting. So I went to the next meeting and they were crazy again. So I had been in the JCs. I knew how to conduct a meeting. I knew Robert's rules of order and all that stuff. So I took I said, let me conduct the meeting. And I would be quite correct on Put that in the form of emotion. You know, the second emotion. I got them organized. When you got them organized, they were a force to be reckoned with. These were some bright people. We had committees, subcommittees. And then 
I went to Mitchie and tried to get Mitchie to pay the comics. She simply would not pay them. It was against her principle. She wasn't going to pay comedians. And this went on for like four weeks, organizing this and that and the other. And finally, the comics decided to go on strike. You know, and, and one night I, I jumped out of bed. I, I scared the hell out of my wife, my ex-wife. And, and she switched on. I said, I got it. Why didn't I think about this? I got it. I couldn't already sleep that night at 10 o'clock in the morning. I go in Mitzi's office and I said, Mitzi, I got it. I'm waiting for her to come in. She comes in. I said, Mitzi, I got it. You're charging $5 at the door. Charge $6. Let the comedians have that $1. If you draw 200 people at night, they split 200 bucks. If they draw 300, 100, whatever. She said, no. They don't it doesn't cost her anything to do that. Nothing. She said, they don't deserve to be paid. This is, this is a, a college. Now, when I went outside, I was numb because I thought it was about money. If it's about money, we can resolve this. It was about power, you know, and, 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 and it was an interesting thing. I was numb and the comics voted to go on strike and we eight weeks on the picket line and, and all sorts of things. Finally, the, the strike is over. Uh, and I made a long answer to your short story. <laughs> Steve Lebetkin came up to me. I, I gave my farewell speech. It was three weeks after the strike was over. I, I had them organized. They were calling themselves the AFC, the American Federation of Comedians. They were going to have a comedy union, you know. So anyhow, uh, 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 I, as I'm leaving, I'm going to the airport. I got a meeting with, with uh, George Slaughter. He wanted me to host a show called Real People. And I didn't want to do it, but I did have to honor the meeting. And I have to go in the air, get to the airport. I'm opening with Sammy Davis in Lake Tahoe. All the comedians around me, George Miller and all the comics talking to me at the same time. And my ex-wife kept saying, come on, we got to go. We got to go. We, you got to catch the airplane. And Steve Lebetkins came up to me and he said, Tommy, don't leave the group. If you leave the group, she will we'll have no power. You know, we need your name power. She, he said, I called in for three weeks in a row. She won't give me any times. I said, Steve, she can't do that to you. We have it in the contract. You can't retaliate against anybody who walked the picket line. He said, but I've called in three weeks in a row. And she won't give me any times. And, and he's forlorn. And my wife's pulling my, I looked at Steve. I said, Steve, I grabbed him by the shoulders. I said, Steve, I won't go back till you go back. You got that? Now, Steve, look at me. I said, I won't go back till you go back. He said, okay. I go, go to Tahoe. I'm there in a week. I, for one week, I'm working there. Jay Leno calls me one night before I'm going on stage. And he, he didn't know. He thought I was off stage. But he called my dressing room. He said, Steve LeBeckin committed suicide. He jumped, he jumped went on top of the Continental Hyatt House next door to the comedy store. He wrote a suicide note, said, my name is Steve Lebetkin. I used to work at the comedy store. Jesus. And he jumped off the top of the roof toward the comedy store. And two years in a row, they think it was his girlfriend. She put a dummy on the anniversary of that death. She put a dummy on the spot where he landed with a sign around its neck saying, my name is Steve Lebetkin. I used to work at the comedy store. Wow. So after that, I just never wanted to go back ever to the comedy store. I just, you know, I gave him my word, but I just thought all of this bullshit all of this bullshit for paying a fucking dollar more right. or something just annoyed me to no end. And so I didn't go back for over 40 years. And then they did the Comedy Store documentary. Mike Bent Binder produced it. And he asked me to come back. And Mitchie's son, Peter Shore, called me. And he said, it would mean a lot to us if you would come back and do a set. So I did okay. uh, after 40-something years. And did you, uh, you know, by the time I got here out here, Tom, the Comedy Store kind of felt... Uh, like it kind of had like a negative, dark, evil vibe to it. Uh, but when I hear you guys and your generation talk about it, it, it doesn't seem to have that atmosphere to it. Was it, a, was it a fun place to work when you first got out here? Oh, I can't tell you. By the way, 
it did happen when you came out here, but there's five episodes of that Comedy Store documentary. The fourth one is about those dark years where the, okay. the bloods were hanging out there. There was a shooting over there. People were doing drugs in there, you know, I think on stage. But now it's a gold mine. Right. Peter Shore turned that place into a nightclub beyond your description. And, and, and I'll tell you, if, if it wasn't for this COVID thing, there'd be lines three blocks around after that five episode um, documentary. Right. But when we went out there, the hard, it's hard to describe the excitement. Every night someone was getting discovered. Uh-huh. Every night. All these shows that I mentioned earlier, they all had their talent coordinators in the audience. Every night some guy would come off the stage or some girl, I just got the Dinah Show show, I just got the Merv Griffin show. Canada, there were three, sh- uh, sh- there were shows up in Canada that send their talent coordinators down. They would fly you up, the kids first class, we'd all go up to first class, and they would take three of your segments, and then they'd run them all through the year. Uh, they were sending people down. Uh, I can't tell you the excitement there. And, and every night something, something was happening, you know. And by the way, not only the stand-up, the casting directors, uh, people were coming in looking for comics for sitcoms. Right. And stuff like that. So it was, it was really, really exciting and fun. Yeah, that was sadly by the day. You know, I got here at 95 is when I moved out here. And, and that was gone like that. And even at the improv, and Bud was great. Uh, I was very lucky that Bud took a liking to me almost immediately. And but even that was, go- you know, you know, Bud. There was the days, you know, this that Bud could pick up the telephone and fill the room with uh, with industry people, and you'd have a deal the next day. And sadly, by the time I got here, as much as he was like, "I'm going to make you a star," and he made the calls, and nobody gave a shit, you know, because the, <laughs> that that little you know wave had passed. And if I just would have moved out here in '94, I really think it was the one year, Tom. Yeah. <laughs> I think yeah, well, really you know, success is an idea whose time has come. By the way, Bud Friedman is the daddy of all the comedy clubs. He's the first one, truthfully, who came up with that concept of getting comics up on the stage. He, but he used to put a singer, then a comic. I went to New York in 1969, 1970, and went to the improv. It was the only game in town. I was fascinated by that. You mean you could work every night? In Chicago, we had no comedy club. So Tim Reed and I, I started when I went to, uh, you know, we what we did. Let me digress. I volunteered for every charity in Chicago. I'd look at every newspaper, listen to every radio show. If there was a charity, Tim and I would volunteer to go do the charity just so we get stage time. Yeah. You know, I saw a, a Monday nighter when I had the greatest line. He said, I just joined AA and everybody applauded. He said, I don't have a drinking problem. I need the stage time. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what we did. We volunteered for every every charity because there was no place to be bad. So uh, sometimes you wouldn't work for maybe a month. You know, and now you have, and you know, with a comedy team or even with a single, you need that that timing. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I went to a, a, a owner of a bar one night, and and I said, "What's your worst night?" He said, "Monday." I said, and I talked him into let, putting a comedy room in there, and it, it became very popular. It's called Lay Pub, and and later on we went to a place called the Pickle Barrel, and then I moved out to the West Coast. But it was a place where we could be bad. But in New York, those kids, you know, the improv was just a fabulous place. You know. That, uh, and by the way, I, I think I've mentioned this on uh, previous episodes uh, as much. Tom's, as I mentioned, Tom's book is fantastic if you like the, the history of stand up. But Bud Friedman's book, which I think came out last year, uh, also a great read if you if yeah. you care at all about the, the history of stand up comedy. And I mean, and to, to Tom's point, Bud has seen it all. Bud has seen everything from, you know, his, his uh, place when he opened up out here and. Uh, I, I, and you alluded to this in your book, uh, Tom, where, you know, his place gets burnt down. The improv got burnt down because uh, do you think and I'll let you tell the story, Tom. But the question is, do you think Mitzi had something to do with sending someone over there to set it on fire? 
No, they did it on their own. Mitchie, Mitchie would have never done this. She, I, I like Mitchie a lot. She, her and I had our differences, but I liked her a lot. She wasn't of that type. She wouldn't do that. But I know who did it. And, and, uh, and what, what, what happened was just before the strike, uh, the, um, the comics, she had her loyalists. 18 guys and one girl crossed the picket line. Had they not done that, the strike would have been over in 24 hours. But she, they were, she had a little meeting. But we had a spy in there, one of the waitresses, a, real, a great gal. She, I, I would say her name, but I couldn't get her in trouble. Her name was Robin. She was a terrific girl. And she would let us know. She'd come out and say, this is what they talked about. <laughs> so we had a spy on the inside. Yeah, she would, yeah. you know, but one, at one of the meetings, Mitzi said, the comedians are talking about going on strike. And um, uh, Biff Maynard said in the back, one of the comedians said, comedians won't go on a strike. They need a place to work. They won't go on strike. And Mitzi said, well, they may go over to the improv. And Ali Joe Prater said, what if there was no improv? And she told us that. A week later, they threw a Molotov cocktail. I mean, a couple of days later, a Molotov cocktail on the roof and burned the improv back down, the showroom. You know, the, the back part was right. down. Bud came to us before we ever went on strike. He said to me, Tommy, please, if you strike, I, he said, I need to rebuild the back room. I can put comics on in the front of my, in, where the bar was there. He said, while they're rebuilding the back room. I said, but we don't want to go on strike. No comic wants to go on strike. Will you sign a memo that after the strike, you'll sign a memo that you'll negotiate in fairness? He said, absolutely. And he did. So when we were on strike, we would send people over to the improv, you know, uh, to do it. But, but no, Mitchie had nothing to do with it. But I, I see. Biff Maynard on his deathbed admitted he said, Ollie threw the, the cocktail up there. Yeah. You know, as much as I, I know the, you know, I, I'm a student of the history of stand up. I don't know Biff Maynard at all. Was he just, was he a guy that toured around? Did he open for folks? Or was he just kind of a guy that worked out at the comedy store and never got a huge break? Why don't I, why is that a name that it's, uh, doesn't bring he, any he was, he was a, a big, tough guy. And, and uh, I think did some time. <laughs> oh. and, and, and him and I almost went the blows one night. How the strike ended, I had to speak at Screen Actors Guild. They invited me to speak and give our side of the story. It was at the Holiday Inn in Hollywood in their banquet room. And they had some sagging after people, a lot of actresses in the room, maybe 150 people. And, but they also invited Mitzi's side of it. Biff Maynard spoke on behalf of Mitzi and a guy named Danny Mora. They came and I went there with Joanne Astro and Mark Lanau and I spoke and they spoke. I gave our side, they gave their side. Now, Biff Maynard, during the middle of the strike, by the way, after four or five weeks of strike, Mitzi came to me and said, I'd be willing to pay $25 a set in the main room, uh, but not on weekdays, only on weekends, you know. And, and, uh, and, and so I took it back, took the offer back to the comics and I let them vote on it. They said, no, every time she charges a cover charge, we should get paid. We always thought that the word cover charge meant cover the cost of entertainment. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I found later that wasn't actually true, oh. but what we thought that at the time. So they said, anytime she charges a cover charge, shouldn't we get something? So I took it back. I said, they turned it down. Well, she started paying those who crossed the picket line, $25 a set. So now Biff Maynard at this meeting in front of the Screen Actors Guild, he first gets up and he says, comedians don't need to be paid because comedians are artists and artists don't need to be paid. Well, he's talking to a room full of artists. Right, 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 right. <laughs> and they, and I, looked, I looked at Mark and I went, bingo, I know what I'm going to talk about. You know? Yeah. So, but when I came my turn, I just basically said to them, I, I told them how much we needed them, how much a struggle, that the comics need to be paid, that across the land, comedians weren't getting paid hardly anything because the argument was in these new comedy clubs opening up, 
around the country. We'll give you $100 a week. And you'd say, well, I don't work for $100 a week. They say, you work the comedy store for free. Come here, we'll house you, we'll feed you, and we'll pay you $100. That's $100 more than you have you stayed in L.A. There was a fair argument to that, that negotiation, you know. So uh, I was telling this to the Screen Actors Guild people. I said, now, this gentleman just got up and told you that artists don't need to be paid. And I know you artists out there must agree with that. You know, and it's going to murder. I said, the other thing, this artist, we... And after four weeks of striking, she started paying the comedians across the picket line $25 a set. I said, do you know what this gentleman did last weekend? He worked two nights. He got $50. You know what he did with that $50? Tonight he went and had a meal and he put gas in his car to come over here and tell you not to pay us. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, I said, if you don't help us, we can't survive. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. need your help. They gave me a standing ovation. We leave, the president of Screen Actors Guild came up to me in front of Biff. He said, we're gonna take a full page ad out in Variety and a full page ad out in Hollywood Reporter, asking all of our artists not to go to the comedy store while you guys are on strike. And, and Biff heard that. I get back to the comedy store and we're walking the picket line and Mitchie had an injunction put in that you couldn't block her driveway, which was right, she was right. You know, so I, I kept, always kept the comics, stay over here, you know, said, anyhow, Biff Maynard pulls up and he's facing east on facing east in his car and waiting for the traffic west to go by. And I and he's racing his engine. Rum, rum, rum. And I look and there's a couple of people in the driveway. And I'm, I said, hey, get out of the driveway. And I hear screeching of tires and flies in the driveway. And I hear boom. And Jay Leno hits the ground. The car goes in the back and Jay Leno's laying on the ground. And the girls start screaming, he at Jay, he at Jay, Jay, Jay. Now I look down, Jay's laying there. I think he's dead. You know, right. I, I, I kneel down and I'm, my brain right then, I said, I'm going to break his fucking jaw. I'm going to break his fucking jaw. I'm, I, 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 I had eight weeks of this. I, I, I turned down all this work with Sammy Davis. And girl, I had it. I was, I was ready for a breakdown. When he got near, I was going to crack him as hard as I ever hit anybody. In my, anyhow. And I'm kind of glad it didn't happen because Biff was, he was nobody, he was, it would have been a battle, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but as I'm leaning down, I'm telling him, get an ambulance, something. We didn't have cell phones. And I said, get to a phone, get an ambulance right away. And I look down at Jay and he opens one eye and he winks at me and he puts his head back down again. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> I said, you son of a bitch. You son of a bitch. You already, and he's winking at me. Now, he, what he did, I, unbeknownst to me, I found later, when the car went by, he took his hand and slapped the side of the car. <laughs> Boom. And then he hit the ground. Right. So now when Biff comes running out of the car, the girls are screaming at him, you hit Jay. No, I didn't. No, I didn't. Yes, he did. He goes inside. And they, by the way, the ambulance came and took Jay away. Jay tried to get out of it. He said, no, I'm OK. But they are not allowed to let him go. They got only a hospital can release him. So the paramedics had to take him to the hospital. The sirens and the ambulance. Take him. And there's so, nothing wrong with him. He, he gets in the ambulance. And they, they look at him. He's like, there's nothing wrong with you. So about 10 minutes later, Mitchie sent Argus Hamilton out. He said, Tom, Mitchie wants to talk to you. I went inside the comedy store. She said, let's settle this right now. Let's settle this. I, I want this over. I said, me too. And we sat up till four in the morning. We got our attorney, Ken Browning, and we sat there and we, we wrote all the rules and all that stuff, you know. Wow, that's, uh, uh, you imagine, Jay, Man, I got hit by a car. You see what Jimmy just said there? Jimmy, there's only two people in the world of comedy that whenever you do their, talk about them, you do their voice. One is Mitzi Shore. Uh-huh. You know, no, I didn't ask you guys. And the other is Jay Leno, and they're almost the same voice. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, Tom, when you when you did Park Castathon, you told us a little bit about the strike, 
And you have one of my, the truth is, we've been doing this show 15 years. You have one of my favorite lines in the history of this show uh, when you were talking about the meetings and you would say, so-and-so saying this, so-and-so this, and Gallagher saying, burn the place down. And <laughs> the, the, that, that was the solutions that I was getting, you know. Hang the bitch. They were saying stuff like this, <laughs> you know. Yeah, burn the place down, you know. And that's when I said, let me try to conduct this meeting, you know. Right. But again, when you got them organized, they were a force to be reckoned with. Guys like me and comedy, I don't have a degree from academia. I got a doctorate from the streets. I grew up literally on the streets. I'm shining shoes in bars, setting pins and bowling alleys, caddying in the summertime, you know, selling newspapers to feed my brothers and sisters. High school dropout at 16. At 17, went in service for four years. You know, four years in the Navy. I served in a Marine Corps unit too. But, uh, and then I got a high school diploma from the Navy and going to junior college. But I'm a street guy. Mm-hmm. These kids are all from colleges and very bright. And, and again, when you got them organized, they were a force to be reckoned with. They really were. Yeah, that's uh, I'm not a comedy store guy, but I love the history of it. I like hearing about it. And uh, it's fascinating. All right. Tom Dreesen is here, but let's go around the horn. We got to do Oliver's uh, trivia thing that we got to dig in deeper more with uh, Tom and hear more about Sammy Davis Jr. and Frank Sinatra and uh, and, and the, the tours and such with those guys. Because, uh, again, in the book, it's fascinating. Uh, so to be able to hear it right from Tom, it's going to be great. Uh, but let me hit the. Uh, the topic, gentlemen, the topic that uh, Oliver has written this week. Uh, Matt, you got a theme on this? I do. Oh, you know what? There's a new one. If you, if you can vamp for a second, uh, I have a, an updated. This guy finally, um, he's, he's, I think, maybe a little annoyed that we complain so much about the mix of his theme song. <laughs> but... Yeah. Uh, I mean, to be fair, he's he's providing something for us for free, though. It's, you know time. what? I'm not going to be fair. You want to submit something? I want I want professionalism, and I'm not going to tolerate for anything less than that. I don't give a shit if it's free or not. Do your job. <laughs> uh, uh, Tom, uh, you're going to be betting anywhere between. I'm vamping, by the way. Tom already knows this information, but I'm doing it for the courtesy of the listener. Uh, you bet anywhere between zero and twenty five points. Uh, if you get it right, uh, you have a, and nobody else does, you get a chance to win five dollars. If uh, more than one people or nobody gets it right, more than one person or nobody gets it right, uh, it goes to, uh, to the bet, and uh, and then whoever uh, bet the least, I guess, would be uh, right. Is that how that works? So, so why do I never understand the betting on this? If you get it right, then whoever bet the most money will win. If you get it, if everybody gets it wrong, then whoever bet the least money will win. Okay, it all makes sense, but explaining it, it sounds like a disaster. It's Jeopardy rules. You you always say Jeopardy rules, and everybody understands that. Yeah, it's, all right. It's Final Jeopardy. I didn't. You got twenty five points to play with, and uh, um, all right. Well, listen. Uh, I've also got two inches to play with, so let's talk about that at a later time. <laughs> oh my God, uh, Jimmy, that's why you were never on Jeopardy. Uh, well, there's more than uh, just that reason. Uh, Alice Trebek and I never got along to this day. <laughs> made that up. Never yeah. met the man. All right. Anyway, he was a wonderful man who who had a TV show in Canada that we co- comics. That was one of the shows. I was oh, is that right? About. Yeah, oh, wow. we broke to do his talk show. But, <laughs> oh, okay, zero to twenty-five. Now you know what? You know, Here's you the thing: I, I like being mad at Alex Trebek, and yet anybody that knows him says he was the greatest guy in the world. But I like thinking that he was just a pompous a-hole that hosted a, a quiz show. Oh, he, uh, he, but nah, everybody he was, says he's a great guy. He was the sweetest, softest, nicest guy. I knew him for. I did a lot of shows with him. Not not the Jeopardy shows, but I did a lot of other shows, dinosaur, you know, the uh, chat shows, talk shows. Yeah. But he was he not he was such a great guy and. I'll get off of this real quick. Frank Sinatra loved that show. And we went on stage every night at eight o'clock, like in Vegas somewhere. So at 730, I'd be in a dress and we'd be watching Jeopardy. <laughs> and and and, uh, and I told Alex that and he sent a fantastic Jeopardy game to Frank to play, to play at home. You know? <laughs> but yeah, Alex Trebek was the sweetest, nicest guy you ever met in your life. And the truth was, all those questions he was asking, for the most part, 
he probably could have answered those questions. I refuse, I refuse to believe that part. That's the part, Tom, that I refuse to believe. I yeah. want to think there's something wrong with him. <laughs> I mean, he's dead now, of course. There's yeah. something wrong, but uh, was <laughs> and then, be. I want to dig deeper on Frank later, Tom. But uh, okay. since you brought it up now, uh, I'm going to ask this question: Was Frank good at Jeopardy, or did he just enjoy playing along with it? When they, you know, he he was he read a lot. He was an avid reader. You know, at one time. You know, he was an avid reader and, and again, also self-educated, you know, uh, like Sammy Davis Jr. Sammy Davis Jr. only had one year of school, one year of, of, of going to the school and the rest he learned from, you know, from self, he was self-taught, you know, he was an erudite. Anyhow, uh, yeah, Frank, Frank, uh, if it was trivia questions of his era, he, he pretty well knew what was going he knew on. It. One night, one night, the question was about him. Who, won, that- the, who won the Academy Award, you know, uh, uh, you know, it's from here to eternity. But he knew the answer to the question. I, I tell you that. I, uh, I I would love if he didn't. Like that's the one that he missed. <laughs> yeah. Out of humility, uh, right? I, I don't know who it is. Come on, Chairman. Now um, this trivia question you're going to ask us because I'm new at this. Is yes. This, you, you don't. Know, we don't know what era it is, so we can't bet, right? Like, uh, I'm going to give you the. I'm going to give you the topic right now, and then you do your bet. Oh, okay, okay. So here it comes. It's uh, hold on. I got the weird, theme song. I got the yes, theme, Matt. Yeah, I got theme, the song. theme song. Here we go. Alva's question is on its way. Alva's question is here to stay. And Matt will probably get it right. That's not okay. All right, I, th- I, th- I think the vocals are too loud now. <laughs> I'm kidding. 100%. You kidding. actually sent two versions and, and one of them, it was too loud. <laughs> so oh. I, I chose, um, I, I chose. Matt, I have a question. When you say vamp and we comedians, I'd say Phil, if there's, if we got a problem here, you fill, yeah, yeah. you know, vamping is a band. It's oh, a okay. band vamps. Are you a musician? Is that I am not. No, I just don't know my showbiz terms. <laughs> I, I'd like to think Tom, that they see what I do is freeform jazz. And that's why they talk to me like a musician. Uh, uh, oh, go. Jimmy will vamp. And then, you know, I just, it's me hitting my, bugle and that's uh, basically what i'm doing very good yeah uh all right weird science is the uh topic guys weird science science okay is uh so i'm gonna uh, write Mm. down your bet and then i'll read the question again tom this is my 13 year old son writes these every uh every week and uh, some are uh very difficult some are uh somewhat easy uh but they always lead to conversation that's the point of them um so uh, I will also tell you, Tom, before I read the question that my son has the worst handwriting you've ever seen in your entire life. So I may have trouble reading this question. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, okay, here we go. What alien thing from pop culture shares a name on element or that's an or shares a name with no and that's an and a n again. He, his handwriting is atrocious. What alien thing from pop culture shares a name with an element on the periodic table with the atomic number 36? Is that a sentence? Did anybody understand any of that? In a row? I, I, think I think I, I, I do. I think I understand it. Say it better, Elliot. Say, uh, so, say what he's trying to say. And again, he, I'm sure he's written it wonderfully. It's just his handwriting makes me choppily reread it. All right. I, I, I think I've got it. What alien thing shares a name with an atomic element that has the atomic weight of 36? Right. And the, the alien thing is, is, is something from pop culture that also yeah. is a real element on the periodic table. Hmm. 
So in a way, if you know you know element thirty six, you probably have the answer. But if you don't, then you got to think about in pop culture what alien thing in pop culture has this has this name. What if I don't know anything but H two O from the periodic table? What if I don't know? And those are two separate ones. By the way, I I did the combination. So I know two of of how how many are there in the table? Uh, 160, I think. Well, why am I expected to know all those? <laughs> why, why am I expected to know 160 things? I don't give a shit. It doesn't affect my life. That's what I always felt about science. It's like, uh, I trust that people are dealing with this, but I, do I have to know it? It's Matt, to my point, uh, to your point on that, and I know we, uh, we swore we're never going to get, poli- we're not going to get as political as we've been over the last uh, four years. But again, if back in February, our president would have said, I put his ego aside for a second and said, I'm not as smart as these doctors. Mm -hmm. These doctors are telling us to do the the scientists are saying wear a mask and do this. We wouldn't be in this mess anymore. Mm -hmm. So I'm with you, Matt. Let the scientists do their job. Uh, I'll talk about my genitals for a living. And (laughs) and Dreesen will uh, regale us with stories from when he uh, used to beat up the black kids. (laughs) I don't think that's how how that went. (laughs) That's how I took that story. Yeah, they used to beat me up. You know, we... (laughs) I, there's a story in my book about that, uh, about the first fight I had there. But go ahead. Uh, all right. So listen. Uh, all right. So there's the question. Uh, what alien thing? Elliot uh, pointed out uh, the atomic number 36. I, I'm writing something down that I don't even know if it's on the periodic well, and, table. And, and by the way, it might say atomic weight, which is not exactly the same as the atomic number. So. This does not say atomic weight. The question does not say atomic weight. It says atomic number. It says with the atomic number 36. Okay. Very good. I don't think the number, I don't think that's going to change anything for any of us here. <laughs> I don't think that's going to well, be. I'm just remembering the whole seven up uh, situation and uh, I'm trying yeah. to. Uh, yeah, yeah. All right. Listen, this is a This is making us all look dumb. <laughs> yeah. And my son, Tom, I'm very serious. I know you have kids. I'm going to ground my son for this question. Uh, well, I, I don't, you know, first of all, I think that's, a, I think that's out of line. I think you should beat the hell out of me. <laughs> right? right? Like the old days, you whip the kid's ass a little bit. Uh, I had bad handwriting too, but I went to Catholic school and the nuns use those rulers on these knuckles that are hurt to this day, you know. I would imagine. Uh, and you oh wait, you went to, uh, now that's interesting, Tom, because uh, uh, where I grew up, and again, not that far from you, uh, it costs money to go to the Catholic school. You went to the public school if you didn't have money, which we did not. We grew up very poor. Um, and then the quote unquote rich kids were able to go to the private school slash Catholic school. But you went to Catholic school. For five years, and then uh, what you're talking about was happened. Both my parents had drinking heavy, and they couldn't pay the tuition anymore. It was either, you know, a six-pack or the tuition, you know. So oh. I ended up going to public school from there. But I see. But uh, but but I have to say that they're great teachers. It was a great experience for me, other than the ruler thing. You know, right. every one of those belonged to the NRA, you know, the National Ruler Association. Uh-huh. <laughs> every Christmas, we'd buy Mother Superior a shoulder holster for her ruler so she could get it out quicker, you know. Uh-huh. But they, 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 they spared no. You know, they, and I'll, I'll digress I'll, I'll quit real quick. But no, please, they, go ahead. They, they would actually leave the classroom. I remember being in third and fourth grade. The nuns, and, and that rumor was they were going to the bathroom, but in my wildest dreams, I couldn't picture a nun going to the bathroom, but <laughs> they would leave the room. And before they leave, they said, now, everyone be quiet while we're gone. There's no talking while I'm gone. Now, when the nun would come back, she'd say, all those who talk while I was gone, please go to the cloakroom and you'd get whacked with the ruler. Now, you know, I'm a talker, so, you know, I was always one, but I wasn't good. You think I'm going to raise my hand and say, yeah, go. So I just sit there. Well, four or five of the boys who did talk, would get up and walk into the cloakroom. I'm thinking they're morons, you know, and Mary Jo Feldes uh, would say, sister, 
Tommy talked and he didn't give himself up. She said, instead of getting five whacks, you'd get 10 whacks. You know, now I'm not making this up. I, I go in the cloakroom this one day and now I'm going to get 10 whacks while all the boys are standing there waiting for her to come with the ruler. And Larry Crack, this kid named Larry Crack, says, I, I said, Batman's wife is going to be in here in just a minute or some joke like that, you know. And, and here she comes and he said, Sister Tommy talked in the cloakroom. So she lets Larry go and I get Larry's wax. What? <laughs> oh, and, no. And Fuck soon Larry. As, and as soon as my hands healed, I whipped his ass on the playground. <laughs> Goddamn right you did. <laughs> oh, no. Now, Tom, any of these guys, because uh, this always fascinates me, too, I, I, and just, just so people know where the era you grew up. You were born, I want to say, in 39. Is that accurate? That's correct. And um, uh, so you, uh, do any of these guys that you went to school with, this Larry Kreps or whatever, when you would go and do shows in Chicago, uh, once you, quote, unquote, made it, would they show up and go, hey, we were the best of buddies. Remember, Tommy? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I can't tell you. Uh, yeah. and, and by the way, I, I, the people back home, this book is doing so well. The people back home uh, 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 really bought a lot. Of, I mean, there's a lot of people back there. Uh, and, and they and they, they named the street after me. I, going back there to Harvey, uh, today it's, it's a high crime area. But the people back home have been very, very supportive of me all along. Uh, but I, I will tell you one quick story every comic knows. I had a... Um, my my ex-wife's cousin had a job at Sears and he made like 17,000 a year many years ago. And he, he ridiculed me in front of a bunch of other guys at a bar one night saying, uh, Tommy, what's this, um, what's this uh, fantasy you have? I was new at the time, just trying to do comedy. Uh, what's this fantasy you got here? This, this wild, crazy dream you have. I said, what are you talking about? He's with a bunch of other guys. He said, I said, uh, you know, I, I'd like to be a stand-up comedian and I'd like to, you know, one day work Las Vegas and tonight show so he goes tommy 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 be realistic for god's sake you gotta i mean las vegas he said i've been to las vegas so he went there one time he, he was on an elevator with charlie callis and that made him a big hit back home <laughs> you know? and, and and he said and he said tommy you know you, you know you gotta set goals you gotta do this you know, you, you, that's a fantasy he said get yourself a, a a regular job and and maybe on the weekend get up and do your little sketches at at the holiday inn or something now years go by and I'm doing the Tonight Shows and I'm doing all this. And I'm at this family reunion and the same guy says to me, Tommy, come here, tell them, tell them. Did I tell you, I told you, set goals. He listened to me. I told him, you got to set your goals. Right. I wanted to say, you are so full of shit. Right. Fuck <laughs> but, but I, you know, I just said, you know, yeah, thank you very much, you know, because uh, yeah, what, what do you do? You, you, you gain nothing by calling him out at that point. No, you, I, you look like the crazy person. Yeah, yeah. What, what, but that's part of. You know, it depends where you're from. If you're from New York or L.A. and you say you want to go into show business, people say, oh, that's a that's a noble endeavor. Where I grew up at, they thought you were insane. You right. want to be what? You want to do what? You want to be a stand up comedian? What are you crazy? You know, get a job in the factory. I mean, you know, very few people. My family were supportive, my brothers and sisters, but very few were. They thought I was a looney tune, John. What uh, you know? What time? Uh, maybe I'm crossing the Jimmy Alec wasn't from Harvey, right? Where, Jim, but he was from our neighborhood, kind of, wasn't he? The South Side, South Suburbs. Jimmy was from Homewood, and Homewood. When, that's right. He was one of my pupils. I mean, I had O'Brien and Severa, Kenny Keller, Severa, Kenny. Sure. Severa, and hey. yeah, yeah, they were a comedy team, and I managed them. And I also with Jimmy Alec. I I tutored. I, he, he, we talk every almost every day, Jimmy Alec. Oh, is that right? Yeah, he, we stay in touch. You know. Um, uh, here's a fun piece of trivia for you. Uh, I, I did a web series 20 something years ago when the web was first starting, Tom, and I did a character called Cocktail Kenny that basically was me doing my bad Ken Severa impression. That's, oh, really? Uh, <laughs> and so 
Nobody knew who I was doing. It sounded like a bad Harry Carey, but I was literally doing Ken Severa. And you are uh, one of nine people that know what I'm talking about. So, <laughs> uh, real, real quick, I, I have so many guys from back home that would say, hey, I see you on the Tonight Show and I see you on the newspaper talking about, you know, people back there. Why don't you talk about me? What they didn't know, I was talking about them. <laughs> right. I just changed the name. Of course. Yeah. I, yeah. Uh, uh, listen, hey, Cutty, it's Cutty. Let's promise me something. Uh, Ken Severo once, uh, Tom said to me, uh, now, Jimmy, you're like me. You like the. Uh, you're a saver, right? And I go. I really don't save anything. Save up your money and go to Italy. Promise me that. Okay. I, I don't save. I, I don't travel. I don't do any of that. This is the 30 years ago. But uh, all right, listen. Let's go around the horn. Let's check in with uh, Garen Cockrell. He's there at the uh, Never Not Funny Weather Desk, sponsored by PopCultureBeast.com. Uh, a little late start today, Garen. We're doing, starting in the afternoon because. Uh, uh, so, what, how does that affect the weather there in uh, in Van Nuys, California? Jimmy, let me tell you, here in uh, North Sherman Oaks, the weather is 84 degrees. Holy crap, is it that warm outside? Apparently yeah, so. Oh. Wow. Tom, what are you, uh, are you, you're in the valley, right, Tom? I'm in Sherman Oaks. Oh, Jesus Christ. I'm in Sherman Oaks, and, and, and I, I, play go- I play golf almost every day if I can. I would have played today, but I had to do this piece of shit show. Oh, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> How, dare <you>? How <laughs> dare you? I'm, I'm lowering your audience by 50 fucking years. <laughs> How dare you? Um, well, that's great. I just need another audience that says, who's Tom Dreesen? I need another group like that. <laughs> hey, listen, uh, I've already got the Who's Jimmy Pardo uh, wrapped up, so uh, I understand it. Um, I wonder how close you are to our studio. Our studio is in Sherman Oaks, where uh, Matt is currently. I wonder, uh, we're at uh, Fulton and uh, Moore Park. Are you near that? Oh, no, but I go by it every day uh, on my way to the golf course. I'm a member at Lakeside, so I take Moore Park back home all the time. I go right by it. I always turn left there to go down to Ventura Boulevard to turn right at, at the uh, Casa Vega to yeah. go to yeah. Maria's Kitchen. And, and in mm. fact, I'm going there after I finish with you guys. Enjoy your pasta. Yeah. Enjoy yeah. your delicious Fulton, pasta. Right in the corner of Fulton and Moore Park? Uh, yeah, yeah, we're basically. next to the uh, the open field that's there. There's a there's an empty lot, and then there's a empty lot. Oh well, I got to We'll do it in the studio sometime. That'd be I would. Uh, we, uh, you're more than welcome. And uh, and I'm going to put you on the spot because Richard Kind, who is also a member of that golf uh, club that you mentioned, uh, every time I talk to Richard. And by the way, I don't golf as much as I used to. I used to. I was on the golf team in high school. I don't golf as like I used to. Him. Uh, now uh, he's like, whenever I'm back at home, we're, we're going out to Lakeside. We're going out to Lakeside. That has not happened yet, Tom. <laughs> I'm going to tell them about it. You, know, yeah. you, you don't want to play in my group because they gamble. They, you know, if two birds land on a fence, they bet $1,000. Which one flies off first? <laughs> okay, I'm out. Because, uh, I'm more than happy to gamble, just not that kind of money. <laughs> oh, these guys, I mean, they're really, Who are you playing with? I play with, uh, they ironically call it the Rat Pack. And it was called the Rat Pack before I was ever, you know, ever even in showbiz. They had a group there they called the Rat Pack for years and years since the gambling group. And so I play with a lawyer named Mike Flanagan. I play with a guy named Mike Newbell, a guy named Joe Nolan. I play with, um, uh, oh, geez, somebody. I play with uh, a guy named Justin Watson, who was played for the uh, Rams. He was a oh. backup to Marshall Falk. Uh, uh, I mean, there's, there's 18 or 20 of them that they, they mix and mingle, you know. Uh, I mean, guys I play with once on, on the side, with Joe Pesci is a member there. And Andy Garcia, and uh, right. lot, there's a lot of lot of guys in the industry there that, that, that I play with. But the money game is a real. It's there's a lot of money. You could be on the 18th hole and you're putting for a putt like this, that might be for like three or four three or four grand. You know. Jesus. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because they play a skins game, and and yeah. then it, it, and you, but you have to validate. If you make this, if you if you birdie the hole, 
and, and nobody else's, you're on the skins, but the next hole you have to par to validate. If you don't, someone could steal from you. Oh, and take wow. So it usually goes to the 18th hole. Wow. And by the way, we'll play like three groups. And so they're all in on the skins game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, <laughs> oh, it does have to be a lot of money. By the way, I can guarantee I don't make that putt. I can guarantee <laughs> I don't make that putt. I got to tell you, if you can walk out on it. In my book, I described that first Tonight Show, 26 million people watching the, 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 the light. You know, you're back behind the curtain. Doc Severinsen's playing and because and, of a commercial break. And the talent coordinator leaves you alone. You're standing there. And all of a sudden, the music stops and your heart stops because we're coming back on live and yeah. you feel something nudging your Adam's apple and it's your asshole trying to get out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, Tom Dreesen's here. Let's go around the horn though. Let's get the, uh, uh, Garen, give, uh, uh, we'll learn more about you next episode, Garen, what's going on in your life. Uh, go ahead and just give me uh, your answer on this. If you would, uh, I'm just going to go with Alf. <laughs> the element Alf. The you know, element. he might have a, 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 a real name that I don't recall right it's now. It's alien, alien Life Form. That's yeah. not his name, though. He could have a, uh, you know. His, his real name is. He does Gor have a name, but we've heard it. We it's know it's Gordon name. Shumway. It's Gordon there you Shumway. Go. Yeah. Well, I, I, that's me saying I have no idea. Uh, Fair enough. So I I'm taking a swing. Alf. Uh, all right, uh, all right. Garen's on the board with Alf. I, my, my, by the way, my guess is no better. I don't know why I'm busting your balls. My, my <laughs> thing's going to be a swing and a miss, too. Um, all right, Elliot, how are you? The Iron Dragon over there at Video Village. Uh, dealing right, with a bit of a cold, the, but little, uh, you're doing okay, cold. right? I'm feeling fine. And now that I know that it's 80 degrees outside, I got 81 degrees, by the way, over here in uh, Palms. Thank you. Uh, that at least makes a little more sense why I was a little warm. I thought it was, you know, cold outside. And right. So I'm like, why am I so warm? Eh, it's a little warm outside. You know what's interesting? Our, our house either it, it keeps the heat in or keeps the cool in and today it kept the cool in from the night nice. and so when I, I went out to call my dad who's in westmont illinois by the way tom i mm -hmm. called my dad to check in on he, how he's doing and i walked outside and literally i couldn't believe that it was 100 degrees outside it was crazy it was as shocked to my system as it was to you elliot is my point mm. Mm -hmm. Can we agree I'm fascinating? <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit. Why do I think everything I say is interesting? Um, Elliot, uh, do you have a guess? I have a guess. This is either ridiculously wrong, almost right, or spot on. So I'm going with Kryptonium. Kryptonium. Mm, that's a good All guess. Right. Matt yeah. says that's a good guess. Yeah. It is. I just, I, in my head, I couldn't remember if it's actually a real element. I know Kryptonite is not real and krypton is not real right mm -hmm. but i think kryptonium is i think i think i think so, so. too yeah my uh, my answer is similar the the only element i could think of that's in like an alien uh pop culture context but is also a real thing because it made me mad uh is in the movie avatar unobtainium uh is a real oh. element uh it was it was named later though yeah uh i don't know it's 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 it was in the movie and i didn't know it was a real thing so in the movie i was like what a stupid name for the thing that the that the characters are trying to obtain it's unobtainium and they're trying to obtain it that's so stupid like what a, what that's terrible writing and then i find out oh no it's actually a real element in that exists and so i was like okay well maybe it's it's not bad right it's just it's still a bad choice but it's not uh but i guess i had to um you know give them some credit for looking so did you up. you're choosing unobtainium i'm is going your with answer? i'm going with that's a good answer it's a good yeah. answer although i th think it it's probably in the hundreds is my guess 
Yeah, I mean... It, oh, yeah, there's no way that's 36, man. <laughs> there's no way that's I've, 36. I've never known any of the things on the periodic table. I don't care. It seems like something you can just look up if you need to find sure. out. Sure, that's why well, they have a table. Yeah. To that point, is there... I'll give my answer now because it, 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 leads, it leads in from what you just said. Is there something on the uh, the table? Uh, e, small, big E, little T? Is there anything like that on the periodic table? <laughs> there might be. Because my guess is E-T. So you're saying if you guess the letters, like the initials or, you know, because the, I, I would, then you I then, would give it to I him. think that's a win. Okay. Considering that I don't have an effing clue. Yeah. Other than, I, again, H2O is as close as I get. And again, I know those are two different ones. And, See, and by the way, I'm, I'm going to say that actually it probably goes up to 180 now. I said 160. I think it's in the eight, 180s. But oh boy. anyway. What an idiot. This guy thought it was 160. Yeah, you're dumb. <laughs> you're trying to look smart. And it turns out you're a moron. We got Tom Dreesen here from the old uh, from the old country. <laughs> <laughs> and from the old days, too. Yeah, well, uh, first of all, I want to say Paros, that fucking Paros stole my answer. So I have to Well, no, you can, you can, Tom, you can, you can still, still you say that. To, you and then our, have to. And then our bets play into it. No, my, my original, my original answer was i have no fucking idea of what we're talking about uh the closest i've come to anything is i was in the movie Spaceballs, and i was trying to see if there was a word in there uh, <laughs> that's as close as i've come to yeah. so but i put down plutonium plutonium all right so we got that's, the uh, pluto what used to be a planet it's still a dwarf planet yeah that's that's fair yeah all right listen uh, all right let's get to the answer here let's get to the answer then we'll take a break we'll come back we'll uh, get some more uh, stories from tom and then uh, we'll go about our day and uh, forget this ever happened um uh by the way tom i don't know if you heard me matt tom is born in 1939 uh, this, this gentleman's 81 years old uh, look how he's in great shape i know yeah. look at him he goes Still golfing this, yeah. guy, this guy's a, he's a robot <laughs> Running out. Uh, when, you, when you read the book, you, there's some great challenges that happened to me. And, I know. And, and, I, and I fought them back, and, and I'm still fighting them back. But that's what it's all about. I mean, you know, it's, it's all about never giving up. And, and I'm, I'm, as you know, if you read the book, I'm a motivation speaker as well. I talk on four subjects, perception, visualization, self-talk, and develop a sense of humor. And, and I elaborate on those four subjects. And I've been giving motivation talks for years, but I also have given the comedians it's my favorite thing to do to stand up comedians. I do a, a motivation talk called the joy of stand up comedy and how to get there. And because 85% of all stand up comedians I met in my life, in my humble opinion, are insecure, neurotic, sometimes psychotic, love starved, <laughs> wrecks, total wrecks. And the other 15% are gifted, confident people who say, I know how to write a joke and I know how to tell a joke. I like to think I'm in the latter, but never trust somebody that tells you they're sane. You know, right. <laughs> Agreed. So when these life challenges came to me in the last couple of years, some of the things I, I after the diagnosis and I realized what I had to face, I, when I got alone, when I got away from my family, I went in the bathroom and I looked in the mirror. I said, now you're going to have to practice what you've been preaching for years to people or you're a fucking phony. Yeah. You're full of shit. If you don't practice what you've been telling other people how to, you know, uh, get in charge of your thoughts, how to get in charge of self-talk and stuff. And, and that's what I did. I, I used those procedures and I, and I uh, and also and I and I prayed to my higher power, you know, and asked for uh, help me through this. And I did. And I got through it. And, and I'm still facing it. Yeah. It was a cancer I had, you guys. I'm, I felt like I'm obsessed, but it's all in the book. But, but, it's a but Tom, you, in, in the book, you do say that they told you that you didn't have much time to live. And this is a couple of years ago. July 2018, I went to USC with the experts there with my daughter. And I thought they were going to tell me uh, that I had a cancer like five years ago. And I, 
I went through chemo and I survived six months through chemo. I, I never lost my hair. I never missed a round of golf. I never missed a gig, you know, and I was doing hour and a half shows in my one man show, you know, right. but I never met. And, and so I got through it. So I thought they were telling me, they were going to tell me, Oh, it's reoccurred and you're going to have to go through chemo again. So I was going with my daughter there and I thought, okay, they're going to, they're going to tell me this. And I was prepared. The two experts, a man and a woman, they were looking at these big screens and charts and looking at them, they're looking at the computer and they turned around and said to me, this doctor said to me, Mr. Dreesen, go home and put your affairs in order. And it sucked the air out of the room. My daughter gasped and I, and I was stunned. I said, are you telling me that I'm going to die? He said, yes. Wow. I said, how much time do I have? He said, only God knows that. I said, well, I'm gonna ask God for a second opinion. <laughs> I said, because you don't know me, Doc. I don't give up like that. He said, well, that's good. I said, I said, I, I don't give up that easy. But now I came back and I put together a support team. My friend, John Romeo, who wrote for Jay Leno for 24 years, my nephew, my road manager, my, my daughters and my, my road manager's wife and my, my uh, nephew's wife. And, and they were on the computer and we started researching everything that we could find and came across this, um, there was a very serious surgery called HIPEC, it's an acronym, H-I-P-E-C, an acronym, but anyhow, uh, there was only a couple people in, in the country that might pull us off, and one of them turned me down. My nephew got a hold of him in uh, Washington, D.C. He said, no, I wouldn't do that surgery on your uncle, he's way too old. He said, I wouldn't work on somebody half his age. And my, my nephew said, my uncle's in good shape. He said, I don't care. He said, it's a very serious, so there was a second one, I'm going to name it up here, forgive me, but Clint East was a good buddy of mine. He knew people at MD Anderson in Houston. He put me in touch with them. I contacted them. I told him, I said, there's a guy named Lowy, L-O-W-Y in San Diego that could do this. Uh, uh, so I, but have you heard about HIPEC? And the doctor there said, hey, he trained here at MD Anderson. Tom, do you want us to call him for you? I said, oh, yeah. And in 24 hours, I was down in San Diego. And he said to me, uh, yeah, he, he did a laparoscopy. He said, okay, I think I can do the surgery. I mean, he said, I know I can do surgery. I think we can maybe buy you some time. Meanwhile, I played in the AT&T for three days a week before the surgery. You know, <laughs> you know, anyhow, long story short, I came out of surgery after almost seven hours. And uh, he said to me, you're disease free. Wow, I got that's it all. great. I, I said, Doc, you saved my life. You're a genius. He said, no, I'm not. I'm stubborn. I said, okay, I'll take that. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can it reoccur? Yes, it can reoccur. You know, and so that I, I, you live from CT scan to CT scan. But in the meantime, you know, I, I, I live every day like it's the last day, you know, because uh, mm. uh, I got so much to be. I, we made this very modern. I'm sorry. But I got so much to be grateful for. All my dreams have come true. You guys, 51 years I've been a stand-up comedian. I've had the most wonderful life. Making people laugh every day of my life was a joy. And by the way, that's one of the reasons I didn't tell the guys at my country club or anywhere. Because whenever I walk into a room, they want to know what's the latest joke. Well, hey, give me a, give me your latest joke. Or, you know, they, they, they just, through the years, I've always even as a little boy i love going into a room and making people laugh yeah it just so for me to have, let people know what was going on what are they gonna they're gonna look at me with these puppy eyes and go are you all right <laughs> he looks good does he oh yeah you look real good yeah <laughs> I, I don't want to go through that bullshit yeah so, yeah yeah you know so uh, anyhow i i, I don't I, I might be here till i'm 100 years old and i might be tomorrow who knows but i can tell you this it's been a wonderful wonderful life you know. 
Tom, if I can make it about me for a second, I hope it's not tomorrow because I want to release this episode and I don't want any of that bullshit on me. I don't want to go, oh, did we release the episode? What do we do? Dreesen passed away. You know what I mean? So yeah. well, until you know, next but, week at least, would you? By the way, by the way if, it happened, if it happens, I hope they blame you. If he didn't have done it, well, they will. There's they no will. doubt in my mind they will. If you wouldn't have done that fucking part, oh, shall we still be with us? That's right. The stress part I'm provided. Uh, all right, here's your answer. Then we'll take a break and then we'll come up and we'll close it up with Tom. Uh, we do have a heart out. And as a reminder, I also have a heart on. Um, all right, here we go. The answer is Krypton. It is Krypton. Oh, shit. So do, 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 does, is my answer close enough? or is The element know? is colorless, odorless, tasteless, and is used in fluorescent lamps. Well, Elliot, you're the most pedantic. So if you feel like you deserve that win, what did you say? What would Man, you? What, what was I your Kryptonium? Kryptonium. I think I I, I, I wouldn't you, give I, it to me. You wouldn't? No. Wait a minute. Let's do the let's do the Jeopardy. By the way, uh, I'm looking up the word. What'd you say? Uh, pandemic? No. What was it? <laughs> Krypton. Uh, Krypton. Krypton. No, no, not Krypton. Uh, 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 oh, unobtainium. Oh. You're the most. Pedantic. Oh, pedantic, oh, pedantic. pedantic. I, th- I thought it was pandemic. So. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I am the most pandemic as well. Trust me. I, 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 I would give it to him. I really would. I would too. And, I would and too, by the way, Tom, you're not wrong. Uh, Elliot is a walking pandemic. <laughs> Iris, <laughs> who sickens everybody when he shows up at a party. Um, so wait, it's well, called- I, I will defer to you guys. I, I will admit, though, that I probably, I probably wouldn't give it to me. You wouldn't give it. If you think you wouldn't give it, uh, Dreesen's going to get kicked to the curb with his uh, uh, opinion here. Uh, we don't need the JCs involving themselves in this. Um, I think, what did you say, Kryptonium? I said Kryptonium, which is Come, not the same I, thing. I, if you say it's not the same thing, I'm going to take you at your word and you do not win. Okay? Yeah, yeah I, I'm afraid I not. just, I looked it up and the element itself is Krypton. Yeah. Yeah. That's the answer. So I, okay, so he's wrong. He's, yeah, yeah, I think, I mean, it's, it's a hard, I don't think Trebek would give it to me. No, he would not. He would not. You're wrong. Okay, yeah. you're wrong. Right. I was the closest of everybody, so I can. There's take no that question. Home you me. were the closest. Well, but now we have to find out what everybody bet, and so. Oh well, I lost. <laughs> <laughs> what'd you bet? Twenty-five. Twenty-five. Matt, what'd you bet? I bet two. Nice. Yeah, why did I, what, wait, wait, what'd you do, Garen? Twelve. Twelve, Tommy. That fucking Matt. I bet five. Okay. <laughs> uh, five. And I, I went with thirteen because I'm an idiot. I don't know science. What am I doing? <laughs> you know weird things. Well, that I do, but science, I don't know. Uh, and again, Damn. my son will get a talking to for this question. Uh, all right. Oh, let's, so let's take a break. When we come back, we'll, uh, we'll, uh, we'll finish it up. We'll get a couple of stories from Tom. And uh, wait, so what? Tom, wait, hang on a second. In my uh, attempt to wrap up this segment and go to a break, I guess it uh, was lost on me. Did Matt just win? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Tom, what you don't know is that this asshole <laughs> wins almost every week. Well, I, I came. I, came, I ran second. Is there a, a consolation prize? <laughs> Brag about it to your golf buddies. That's all you, you know, can do. Uh, uh, let's give it to uh, Elliot. Elliot basically said crypto. You know what, Elliot? <laughs> got it right. You know, that's a good point, Gary. He basically said crypto. Yeah, you had your chance, Elliot. All right, let's take no, a break. I, I know you would have let it go, but I, I have to be honest. You asked me what I would say, and yeah. that's what I would say. You are nothing. Honestly, you're the most honest group of people I've ever met in my entire life. So, mm. uh, if, if, if that's how you believe it, that's what you believe it. All right, listen. Uh, again, I just used 19 words when I could have used one. Uh, let's take a break. We'll be back right after this. 
Hey guys, Matt here with some dates for you. Tom Dreesen's on Twitter at Tom Dreesen Comic, and his book Still Standing is out now. Sounds amazing. Uh, I love the history of stand-up comedy. Uh, you probably do too from listening to the show. And uh, it, Jimmy says it's it's full of great stories, and, and Tom has told some of those stories here. So uh, I can't wait to read it and, and get some more of the, that good stuff from the old days of stand-up comedy uh, back where you know it all started. He was there, so that's exciting. Um, Jimmy Pardo is doing stand-up comedy himself. In the Flappers Zoom Room, that's November 20th, 7 p.m. Pacific Time show. Go to flapperscomedy.com to get tickets to that show. And uh, other than that, what can I say? We got a new t-shirt at Podswag. If you want to check it out, there's three colors. It's our new Never Not Funny logo on a shirt. And there's a couple of different shades of blue. And uh, what's the other one? I can't picture the third color, but uh, they're all great. Uh, you're probably going to want to buy all of them. So go to podswag.com slash never not funny to pick that up and enjoy. Listen, I've been a broken record on Factor Meals. As I mentioned on the last episode, even my doctor knows that I eat the Factor Meals. <laughs> That's right. Uh, you're, you're actually not only reading the ads that go in the show, but you're advertising in doctor's offices for Factor now. That's exactly right. I'm the Muzak of Factor. <laughs> I'm going from- I uh, appreciate it. I'm uh, more than happy to do it. Now, these things are ready in just two minutes. They've got over 35 different options to choose from every week. They've got the Calorie Smart Protein Plus- uh, various different meals. I uh, just this way this morning. I had to pick my meals for next week. You pick you pick a week in advance. Yep. And uh, you know what? I decided to give myself a little treat. I got the filet mignon. Yum. Which is uh, it's a little extra to get that. Right. And I'm allowing myself that maybe every six weeks or something. Get you know what? It's Why nice. not? Yeah. Treat yourself. You you've earned it, Jimmy. I have earned it. I'll tell you something. It is delicious. Yeah. Right. I got to try that. Oh, I haven't had that one. They do a great job. I, uh, the other day I had the uh, what is it the. Uh, Spanish lime chicken or whatever it's called. Mm-hmm. That was a spicy lime chicken, whatever that whatever that one is, yeah. was delicious. I love the shredded taco, chicken taco thing that mm-hmm. they do. Uh, again, I have not, I've not had a bad factor. Yeah, and I've said this before, like a lot of these things, because I get a lot of the like, uh, you know, low carb ones. And I find that it's great with, uh, if you want to get like a, a low carb tortilla and you, you can put it in there and make it into a, a wrap or a tortilla type situation or some uh, sweet potato chips and you kind of use like the queso, the chili queso, whatever. Yeah. Uh, that's just, I, I like doing my own thing with it. You can sort of uh, use their, what they give you as a base and then uh, do what you want with the it. The factor is there for a base. You heard it from Matt Belknap. Now, head to factormeals.com slash Pardo50. Use code Pardo50. You're going to get 50% off. That's 50% off. Uh, we really wish I would have said zero there. Uh, that is code Pardo50 at factormeals.com slash Pardo50 to get 50% off. That's 50% off. F-A-C-T-O-R-M-E-A-L-S dot com slash P-A-R-D-O 50 and use code Pardo50 to get 50% off. Factor! That's a good meal. I'm going to pronounce this properly. Earn in. Earn in. E-A-R-N-I-N is pronounced Ernin. I don't know how else you would pronounce it, but they really want to be clear that that's how to pronounce it. Yeah, I guess maybe some people might get a little confused because two words that are usually separated by a space are actually squished together into one word. All right, so let, let, let's all right, let's go with your premise. Mm-hmm. You got the two words. You got earn and in. How would you say those separately? Earnin. That's together. Mm-hmm. I asked for you to do it separately. Oh, separately. Earn in. Er, earn in. All right, yeah. now do it together. Ear in. Yeah, see? You're mis- <laughs> Uh, all right, so maybe they're right. Uh, Earnin is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work, up to 100 bucks a day, up to 750 bucks per pay period. Look, again, we, we've talked about it before. Maybe you got a last-minute gift for a loved one. you got upcoming rent. Uh, and, uh-oh, paychecks run out with the other bills. That's where Earnin jumps in and helps you out. Uh, you can download Earnin today. 
Uh, let me spell that for you. We've had fun pronouncing it. <laughs> now let's spell it. Let me spell it for you. E-A-R-N-I-N, and that is in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earnin app, I'm asking you to do this for us. Type Never Not Funny under podcast when you sign up. That'll let them know that we sent you there. It helps us out. Never Not Funny under podcast over there at Earnin. It is subject to your available earnings, location, daily max, and pay period max. See Earnin.com slash TOS for details. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust member FDIC. Once again, Earnin is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work. Up, get up to $100 a day, up to $750 bucks per pay period. Earnin. Get your money now. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the program, episode 2713. Uh, Tom Dreesen is here. He, uh, uh, he just went out and played a round of golf in that break. That's, uh, <laughs> that's how active Tom Dreesen is. Uh, those uh, those uh, high-stake gamblers of his uh, grabbed him by the arm. They said, come out and play a quick nine. And he, uh, he did nine holes. What did that break? Yeah. Uh, now, Tom, you're actually, uh, you mentioned doing the AT&T uh, Pebble Beach. You're actually a great golfer, right? You're like a scratch golfer? No, no, no. Many years ago, I was a three handicap as low as I got. I, I played on a tour called the Celebrity Players Tour. It was basketball, baseball, football, hockey, tennis, and show business people that were 10 handicap or below. Okay. So it was like Johnny Bench, Mike Schmidt, Mario Lemieux, John Elway, Dan Marino, Michael Jordan. We had 42 Hall of Famers. And, uh, and we had, you know, tennis players, Yvonne Lendl and Connors. And, but uh, in showbiz, it was uh, Matt Lauer, Brian Gumbel, um, me, uh, Smokey Robinson, uh, Frankie Avalon played for a while, uh, Eddie Marino, people like that. Jack Wagner actually was the best celebrity golfer that I've yes. ever met in my life. Uh, he, but, could, he should have been on tour, don't you think? He was good enough no, to be no, on tour? He was, no, no, because that's always a misnomer. I've had so many people tell me, look at this golfer. He should have been on tour. Well, I played in the Bob Hope Classic for since 1977. I played in the AT&T. When you get around those pros, you realize it's different. Okay. The best, the, a, a plus two handicap at Lakeside couldn't even make the cut. You know, Rick Roden, by the way, won millions of dollars on our tour, the Celebrity Players Tour. Then he went out to play in the Seniors Tour, and he, he made a couple cuts, and that was all. Wow. Uh, uh, so it, that's a whole different level. You know, it's like it's like going from Jimmy Pardo's stand-up comedy to Tom Dreesen. It's just a so fast. <laughs> right. What, what, one guy is true to his art form and the other guy is selling out because Sinatra told him to. I get it. Exactly. I get it. How did you... Go ahead, go ahead, Tom. I'm sorry. I was just saying, you don't have big enough lips to kiss Frank's ass. <laughs> I, there's no doubt about that. He would have he had me whacked. No, uh, anyway, that was one of the reasons I stayed with Frank all those years. I, I'm serious. He never knew how much in awe of him I was. I, 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 I picked up on him when I first started touring with him. I picked up that he had millions of fans. He didn't want another fan. You know, he, he, he had millions of fans. He wanted a pal, a buddy. And, right. and, and I was a hangout guy. I, I was a bartender and all those other kinds of things. And, and I, 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 I grew up on the streets like he did. I grew up around saloons like he did, you know. And so I, I picked up. But he never knew that. I, I thought he was incredible. This guy, there wasn't. It's hard to describe the talent that Frank Sinatra had. When you think, not forget about this, going to the studio 1,431 times of 1,200 original songs. Forget about all of his, the greatest pop singer of all time. He, he, what an actor. He won the Academy Award. He never studied acting. One night sitting with Gregory Peck, Sidney Poitier, uh, Clint Eastwood, uh, Robert Wagner, uh, Jack Lemmon, Kirk Douglas. They were all at his house and they were talking film. It was like two o'clock in the morning and I was fascinated. I was sitting in the back just like a fly on the wall. These are people I saw in the movies at the Harvey Theater. Right. And they're talking film, but they were showing so much reverence to Frank. And it just fascinated me, you know, that that I said to, to Frank in the middle of it, I said, did you study acting? Because, you know, people brag. I, I, I studied with uh, uh, Strasburg. I studied with Stella Adler. I was just curious who he studied with. And 
Gregory Peck grabbed my arm. He said, acting lessons would have ruined him. He was a diamond in a rough you didn't fool with. You know, this man won the Academy Award, never studied acting. He, he should have won it in The Man with the Golden Arm. But what about the Manchurian Candidate? He did 61 films, you know. When you gave Frank Sinatra a song to him, it was a script. What did the writer feel the night the writer took pen in hand? He would immerse himself in the lyric and you would feel that. You would feel that. There's a song, if a woman ever leaves you and you're at a bar, and there's a song uh, that comes out of jukebox, there's a song he sings called If You Go Away. Before that song's over, you'll put a gun in your mouth. <laughs> Jesus. I mean, this, this, he, he, and he sang the joy of songs. This man at age 78 sold out in Japan 20,000 seat arenas. How many people, it, 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 you know, he's the only male artist ever to record in seven decades. Mm -hmm. You know, in the 30s, the 40s, the 50s, the 60s, only one female artist who did that was Ella Fitzgerald. Uh, he, he danced with Gene Kelly, for God's sake. You know, I, I saw Pavarotti around him in awe. Right. In awe. He's in the same room with Frank Sinatra. You know, I, 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 I mean, it's amazing the, the, this mystique he had about him. Yeah. If, there, if, we, if I went somewhere with him, there was a thousand people in the room. He would stand in one spot before the night's over. They would all gravitate to him, including the president of the United States. Wow. He had this magnetism. Now, was he a saint? No, but he did a lot of saintly things. You know? mm -hmm. But but again, he was a street guy. And that's the way I, when we got alone in the car at night, when I'd be driving around the desert with him until the sun came up, he never went to bed till dawn. That it, when we were in a car, he was a kid from Hoboken and I was a kid from Harvey. And that's the way we talked about, you know, about things, you know. But, but again, he never knew how much an awe of him I was. That is, uh, you know, Tom, I, and we're short on time here, but I, I just want to, as, as a comic, I have a question for you. Performing in front of 20, 40,000 people, and they're not there to see you necessarily. They're there to see Frank, and here's Tom Dreesen first. And you go out, and you're performing. I mean, that's a that's a huge room. That's, you know, I, 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 could even, I couldn't even imagine performing to a room that big. Would, would you get, if you got heckled, would you hear the heckler? Would you ever get heckled? Or would somebody at a Sinatra show uh, have so much respect for the venue and, and, and the event that they wouldn't? Two things. One, th one thing, and I'll try to get this quick. I give classes to comedians. If you're in a room with 20,000 people and some asshole down front wants to heckle you, you ain't going to ditch your show for that jerk. <laughs> gotcha. But if you're going to, if you're going to, if you're going to go to him, then first of all, you better have some ammunition. But better, second of all, you repeat everything he says back through the microphone. Right. You don't come back with that quick, fast line and, and, and three people around him laugh because you left the audience out. Never leave the audience out of what's going on. Mm, right. So whatever he said, I, I would repeat it through the microphone. But oftentimes I'd give him so much rope that he was going to hang him. I first had to establish to the audience and to myself, he might be just a nice guy saying, we love you. And you thought he said, fuck you. Uh -huh. <laughs> you, know, you, you so you, you have to qualify the, the heckler and, and, and I'd make him repeat back. And now if he was an asshole, now the whole room knows this guy's an asshole. So now my line when I nail him is going to make sense and they're going to be on my side. So that's one thing, you know. The other thing uh, uh, is that, that, that uh, about uh, hecklers, about working in front of 20,000 seats. When you walk out in front of a 20,000 seat arena and you're right, they didn't come to see me. First of all, all the lights go down low and people go, oh, and then the orchestra, bah, bah, da, da, bah, and they go, oh, they think Frank's coming out. <laughs> yeah. And then they introduce me. There's a comedy service of people, oh, you're on your way to the stage in here, and oh my God, oh, I thought it was Frank. You know, like, <laughs> first thing you gotta do, you gotta take control of that stage. Don't open with your A material. You gotta bring them here. Now, if there's 20,000 people in the arena, 3,000 are looking for their seats. So when you get on the stage, they're all around me. I, I, I First thing I'd get up there, I'd say, how many people out there thought that Frank Sinatra was coming out? Applaud. Those who thought Frank was coming out and they'd applaud. 
I say, I know just how you feel. I'm a little bit disappointed myself. Uh. <laughs> the joke's on me. Now, I didn't say raise your hand. I said applaud. Then I say, how many of you out there are in this arena for your very first time? Now, I'm, I'm talking all around me because they're all around. They're on my left and right behind. I say, how many of you people in this arena are, are in this arena for your very first time? Applaud. And they'd applaud. I say, how many of you people out there uh, are seeing Frank Sinatra live your very first time? Applaud. And they'd applaud. I say, how many people aren't there wearing any underwear? Applaud. You know, what, you know. Now, you know, I talk, you react. I didn't say raise your hand. I got to get your, re- I talk, you react. I talk, I'm schooling them. When yeah, I talk, yeah, yeah. you react. Oh, yeah. Now, yeah see, now, now I got them. And then I would do a couple jokes about the area. I would always write some original jokes about Louisville, Kentucky, or wherever we were, you know. And, uh, and, 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 and then, so I had local jokes. And then I'd go into my A material. Yeah. But you first got to get them in your country. Now, I'll tell you one other thing. In Atlanta, Georgia, when I did Fox Theater, I had a heckler in the theater. We were doing four nights there. So they had only like like 2,000 people a night in this theater. But some guy hollered out. I walked out and I'm doing my show. I did only a couple of jokes. And a guy hollered out, where's Frank Sinatra? And without hesitation, I said, he's outside looking for your manners. Love it. And, <laughs> and, and, and Frank loved that line. Frank always reminded me, because he always listened to the show. Back, back. But again, about hecklers, you got to really be careful about them, because sometimes you might have a guy. I'll give you another quick story. At the Riviera Hotel one night, a guy down front, Italians, we call him Gabon. He's a Gabon. He's got the beads and the chains on. He's got two hot looking chicks next to him. And at the Riviera had about 1,200 people in the room. Now, I'm not going to ditch my show for this year. Every time I got near him, the girls would be laughing. He said, you like this guy? This guy sucks. And, and, and I heard him, you know. Now, I, I work stage left. I work stage right. Now, every time I got near him, he said, I can't believe you like this guy. This guy sucks. Now, I could have stopped my show and dealt with this guy. But I knew he was a gavon, you know. So I let him keep doing it. Now, but I finished my show. You've been a wonderful audience. And they're all cheering. nice. And I took a bow. And when you take a bow left about center stage or about right and exit stage right. When I got in front of him, I bowed to the audience and I said to the girls, you like this guy? This guy sucks. And I said, good night. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. All right, Tom Dreesen's book is called Still Standing. Uh, And and Tom, you mentioned it earlier when we're back in the studio uh, in Sherman Oaks, we'd love to have you back on and and hear more of these stories and and be able to do it in person. Uh, uh, And hopefully we'll be able to do that sometime soon. Um, I like that. I really like that. Thank guys. I really enjoyed this. I really did. I, I hope you did. I hope oh, I loved it. I loved every second of it. And I could listen to these stories. Uh, literally, if those old days of you talking about going to Cantor's, uh, I would have loved to have been in that booth and just listen to all these you and Boozler and Jay and Dave and all those guys just talking about what I grew up watching on TV. I just love all the stories and and getting it from a you know a guy who's as local as I am, Oak Forest to Harvey is. You know, again, just a few miles away, so it's uh, it's it's all relatable. Um, all right, but Tom, don't run away. We, we'll say about you off the air. Uh, but Elliot, I know you got to run, so let's get out of here. Uh, all right, everybody, thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next uh, time on the podcast. Uh, on behalf of the Pop Culture Bees, there he is, Garen Cockrell, at Video Village, that's the Iron Dragon, Elliot Hochberg, holding down the Ford at Never Not Funny headquarters in Sherman Oaks, California. That's Matt uh, Belknap, also in Sherman Oaks, California. That's our friend Tom Dreesen. I am Jimmy Pardo. Stay safe, you guys. We'll see you next time on the podcast. AK forty seven, gone, not forgotten. Love Never Not Funny? For a second episode every week and video of every episode, plus bonus perks, sign up for a Platinum subscription at NeverNotFunny.com. Never Not Funny is executive produced by Jimmy Pardo and Matt Belknap. Video production by Elliot Hochberg. Production assistance by Garen Cockrell. Music by Daver and Watch It Burn. Copyright 2020, Never Not Funny, LLC. Never Not Funny.